Good evening, everyone. We'll go ahead and call this uh, Water Commission meeting to order for November 28th. I've got a start time of 5.31. First order of business is a roll call. Commissioner Amendola? Present. Commissioner Armbrister? Here. Commissioner Mulligan? Here. Commissioner Savage? Here. Vice Chair Ackerman? Here. Chair Aranio? Here. Okay. Second order of business is approval of the minutes from our October 24th. We'll take over to see if there's any comments or corrections on those first. I have one. George? Thank you. Uh, so to follow up from those comments about the legal review, Mr. Hogan and I had the opportunity to converse about those, and uh, I think a lot of those issues are resolved. Okay. Very good. So I'll take and entertain a motion to approve the minutes as submitted. Yes, I motion to approve the minutes as submitted. Okay, we have a first. Do I have a second? Second. Do I have a second? Clerk, did you get that? The two? Good. Commissioner Amendola? Yes. Commissioner Armbrister? Aye. Commissioner Mulligan? Yes. Commissioner Savage? Yes. Vice Chair Ackerman? Yes. Chair Ronio? Aye. And the motion passes with five ayes and zero noes. Second set of minutes are for November 8th, our special meeting that we had here. Any corrections or changes or comments? Seeing none, I'll entertain a motion to approve as submitted. I'll second that motion. You will be the first. Uh, first. <laughs> I'll second it for you. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, I got you covered. <laughs> Procedural. <clears throat> comment real quick. I think that my comments were directed towards this November 8th minute. Go ahead. Discussion. My comments were directed towards the November. Your prior comments were yes. for November. Okay, so noted. Commissioner Amendola? Yes. Commissioner Armbrister? Aye. Commissioner Mulligan? Yes. Commissioner Sam? <laughs> Commissioner Savage? Yes. Vice Chair Aranio. Aye. And Chair Aranio. Oh. Oh, sorry. Vice Chair Ackerman. I can barely hear. Vice yes. Chair. Yes. <laughs> and the motion passes six to zero. Thank you. Um, Chair Aranio, I, um, before we move on to item two, it, it appears there may be an error in the agenda. Um, general public comment uh, is not listed at the beginning. Is that right, Amanda? I would suggest, so Chair Ronio, that, that you... Given that it's not on the agenda, Brown Act and all that, can we go ahead and just ask for public comments at this time? We can. We need to provide for it at every um, regular meeting, so I would call for it at this time. Thank you. Okay. The attorney says we can do it, so so be it. Um, if there's any public that would like to speak about an item that is not on the agenda tonight, but within the jurisdiction of the Water Commission, please come on up. Yeah, a little bit of background about myself. I have a BA in marketing and management. I've worked uh, in traffic investigation for over 20 years, did accident investigation, nationally certified as an accident reconstructionist, um, have had my own businesses, 
private investigation, private investigation currently a current license. And as you've probably heard before, I was driving buses up in Santa Barbara for a while. The Department of Water Resources administers the long-term public water supply, or water supply contracts to 29 local water agencies for the water service for the state water project. This amount of water distributed each year is known as Table A water. The Table A water allocation differs each year also may change over the course of the year based on a con conservative dry hydrology, current storage and releases to be made through the year to meet state water project contractual and regulatory obligations. This allocation may change to reflect the actual and forecast water supply. For the last 23 years, the average water allocated for the state water Table A allocation was 57% or 5,700 acre feet of water. For the last 10 years, the average water allocated for the state proje water project Table A allocation was 42% or 4,200 acre feet. In the recent past, the state water board has become more flexible in ways to bank water for future use. This water is much better quality than the groundwater in Ventura and would be of a great benefit to the ratepayers of Ventura. Regarding the state water project water, Ventura has investigated, some agencies have investigated uh, contracting with other water agencies to bank any unused state water, which Ventura is entitled to use and do not plan to use in the current year. One example is Metropolitan Water District. They are building a storage facility in the San Joaquin Valley and have previously offered Ventura's water one-third interest in the water for storage. I believe Ventura should review this option as a viable alternative water source. Thank you. Chair, I'd like to ask Mr. Handy a question, if I might. Sure. Sir, did you say you were a professional investigator? Yes, I worked um, in investigations, doing accident investigation. Um, for the County of Ventura for 21 years. That was reconstructing accidents. I'm also nationally certified as an accident reconstructionist. That's pretty complex investigative work. Yes. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Do we have any other speaker cards? We do not. Okay. Very well. Thank you for your comments. We'll go ahead and move on to item number two, outreach and conservation update. Good evening, Chair and Water Commissioners. My name is Stephen Glenn. I'm the Environmental Services Supervisor for Ventura Water. And tonight, I'm going to be giving you an update on the city's water conservation and outreach programs. So first up, just a quick itinerary of what we're going to be discussing tonight. Um, first, we will go over our rebate and incentive programs and see how those have been performing. Then we'll take a look at some of our recent outreach efforts in the year 2023. And then last, we're going to be looking at the um, Making Conservation a California Way of Life framework that's coming down from the state. And I added this graph just to show that uh, Ventura residents continue to do an excellent job with water conservation. Um, we've been steadily decreasing, and as you can see, based on this graph, we are well below our 2013 production numbers. 
So we'll first start off by going over our indoor rebate and incentive program. So first up, we have the high efficiency washing machine rebate program. Under this program, customers can receive a $150 rebate when they replace their existing washing machine with a high efficiency model. And to date, we have uh, given out 532 rebates on this, and this program has been around since 2019. So this program continues to perform pretty well. Next up, we have our high efficiency toilet rebate program. So it works similar. Customers can receive a $100 rebate when they replace their existing toilet with a qualifying low flow toilet. Um, this program has been a little bit slower this year. We did about half the amount of toilet rebates, so we are gonna be looking at um, possibly modifying that program to maybe be a um, direct giveaway of toilets instead of a rebate, but we're looking into that. And to date, we've done 131 rebates. The last for our indoor items is our instant hot water recirculating pump. So this pump significantly reduces the amount of time that it takes to get hot water to each fixture. So it creates a, a loop between the hot and the cold water line. Um, so these have been extremely popular. We started giving these out um, in 2019 and we have given out 915 pumps. Next up, we'll go through our outdoor rebate and incentive program. So first up, we have our WaterWise turf removal rebate program. We've had this program since 2015, and we started out on an Irwin grant um, with partners um, at Casitas and Santa Paula. Um, we have extended the life of this program since then, and just recently, um, we received a grant funding from BOR um, to expand this program to $2.50 a square foot. So we're excited about that, and we just rolled that out um, in September. So we're hoping to do about 60,000 additional square feet in the next year. Um, we are approaching that million square foot mark. So to date, we've done over 825,000 square feet of uh, turf removal rebate. Next up, we have our rain barrel voucher program. We run this program in partnership with the Environmental Sustainability Division um, and Public Works. So how it works is customers can print out one of these vouchers and it's for 66% off a rain barrel. They can take that voucher to Smith Pipe and Supply and um, they will receive that discounted um, rain barrel. So to date we have done um, 1,875 rain barrel vouchers. And last up is our irrigation retrofit. Um, this is one of those programs that we started out as a rebate program in, I believe, 2017, and it has since evolved into a direct install program. So under this program, customers can receive a uh, weather-based irrigation controller, high-efficiency sprinkler nozzles, and now drip. And not only do we give those items to the customer, but we also give professional installation as well. I have to use this picture every time. If you look closely, you'll recognize who it is. So we do have our mobile reuse program, and it has sort of a cult following. And <laughs> I believe Jim, uh, Commissioner Ackerman, upgraded his truck this year, too, so he can haul more water. But under this program, customers can bring their container to the Ventura Water Reclamation Facility and fill up with recycled water and use that to water their landscape um, or for dust abatement. Um, so this past year, we did 2.2 million gallons, which is up from the previous two years. And of course, our water efficiency survey. So these um, customers continue to utilize this service, especially for leaks. Um, so in the days of AMI, we are able to actively notify customers if we see continuous usage. Um, so we will notify them, and then they will call um, our specialist, Susan Birch, and she will go out to the property and investigate, help the customer find that leak, um, and then also pitch the different programs and um, 
figure out if, if there are certain programs that might fit well uh, with a particular homeowner. So this year we jumped over the thousand mark, so we're excited about that. We've done 1,034 surveys. So now we'll move on to the outreach efforts. So um, these are the same items that we went over last year for our drought reach program. That program ended up winning us three awards, so we're excited about that. And we continue to implement um, all of these different tools to get our programs out and tell folks about what we've got going on. Um, tonight, we're just going to highlight a couple of those um, that we are excited to, to get back up and rolling some of the goals that we had set last year, so we'll talk about those. First up, um, we, wanted to do, we wanted to show the outreach that we're starting on the lead copper rule revisions. So uh, we've been working with our GIS team and they've set up this website where customers can go on and report what kind of line they have and then we also created this kind of how-to video to help customers out. So we'll go ahead and play that. hard on the audio, so. Concerned about having lead in your line? Go ahead and follow our steps and determine what type of line you have. Today, we're checking some of the services in a neighborhood to determine whether the residents have copper pipes, PVC pipes, or galvanized pipes. And here are some few easy steps to be able to check the service to your house. Step one, take your screwdriver, open the meter box lid, and move it to the side. Clean out any debris. Step two, scrape the pipe to determine what type of material it is. This pipe right here is copper pipe. That would determine that there is a copper pipe coming from the meter. Step three is determining the type of water service line that is going into the house this connection right here and this is also copper so this would be determined to be copper on the customer side of the meter the goal is to get rid of lead and replace it we will come up with how it's going to be replaced and what kind of timeline that it'll take but this is also part of the inventory that we have to create for the state is what is on the customer side of the meter. And for the customers out there, if you would like to submit your information, go to VenturaWater.net. Thank you. Perfect. So we'll have a widget up on our website um, that will take customers directly to this GIS site where they can um, input their information. Next up, we have outreach tables. So outreach tables, um, unfortunately, during COVID, were completely shut down. And over the past couple of years, we've slowly started getting back up to speed. Um, staff loves to work outreach tables. It gives us a chance to really interface with the public, um, talk to them about our programs, hand, hand out low flow items and different kind of swag. 
Um, so we're really excited to be back out in the community and doing outreach events. So this year we've done 20 events so far, and we do have a couple more on the board as well for the rest of the year. So really excited about that. Also, one of the goals that we outlined last year um, was our want to get back into the schools and start doing outreach with students again. So while we haven't been in the classroom yet, we're still working on getting that up and running. We're excited to have students over at the reclamation facility to do tours. So um, we did 11 different tour dates last year, and I think we had 100, or 340 plus students um, that actually came to the facility to do, to do tours. Um, additionally, we have been working with Ventura College in their water science program. So numerous staff has actually um, been guest speakers through their program. So we're excited to, to kind of have a hand in that and be able to talk with students in that, that program. Okay, now we have the fun stuff out of the way and we'll start looking at the conservation framework. So in 2018, two bills were passed. Um, and these bills directed the state water board to come up with a uh, water efficiency standards for a long-term conservation framework. Um, so there are many components to this and it hasn't been adopted yet. These are all just drafts and this is the proposed um, um, measures that we're gonna be going through tonight and we're gonna focus on um, these four here at the bottom, residential indoor use, real water loss, residential outdoor use, and CIA landscape with DIMMs or dedicated irrigation meters. Um, so we're hoping that the framework is adopted in 2024. We actually have to report on this come January 1, 2024, even though the framework hasn't been adopted. Um, so what we won't cover tonight are the variances or the bonus incentives. Those are still being worked out and they're really complicated. We're probably not looking at a variance, but potentially um, a bonus incentive with Venter Water Pier. So the first bucket is residential indoor use. This one's pretty simple. Um, the board will decide on what that standard looks like. So it's gallons per capita per day. Um, we're looking at starting out at 55 and that'll run us through the end of next year. It'll drop down to 47 and that will run from 2025 um, up until 2030 and then 42 gallons there onwards. So how they're coming up with our budget is they're just multiplying whatever standard they've come up with times our population times 365 days in the year. Next up we have our real water loss and um, this is actually done through our water loss reporting. Um, so it works pretty similar. They give us a system specific standard um, that we were given from previous reporting. Um, that standard for us is 21.6 gallons per connection per day and we multiply that by our connections and by 365 days again. Next is the residential outdoor water use and this is where a lot of the problems. Um, the board has had various workshops and meetings on these items and um, the outdoor landscaping seems to be the biggest point of contention between different agencies. So um, again, they're gonna give us that residential outdoor standard and that's based on, it's called the LEF or landscape efficiency factor. Um, and that's what you will see right here, 0.8, and that's gonna run us through 2030 and then it will drop down to 0.63. Um, come 2030 and then come 2035, it'll drop to 0.55. So we're gonna multiply that by our net ETO, which is our evapotranspiration minus our total rainfall, um, times our landscape area, which was given to us, it's called LAM data, uh, landscape area measurements, and that came from DWR. Um, so we received that initially from them in March of 2021. 
we sent back our comments on that and then they send us the revised area um, later at the end of that year and then multiply that by the conversion factor and that's going to give us our residential outdoor budget. The CII landscape with dedication, ir dedicated irrigation meters, same exact equation. The only difference is that it drops, that the landscape efficiency factor drops down to 0.45 after 2035. Um, one thing to note about this is that we have not received um, that LAM data. We only received it for our residential customers, so we are still waiting for DWR to send us the information for the commercial side of things, and then we'll actually have to go in there manually. They're just sending us the shape files in GIS, so we'll actually have to go in there and classify um, each uh, commercial customer that we have, and we have till 2028 to do that. Um, so it's, even though we're reporting on it, there's not going to be um, really a, a, a budget associated with that until 2028. And we wanted to take a look, and you know, again, it's a lot of confusing items, so we wanted to take a look and make sure that we were compliant now and what it's going to look like in the future. Um, and since we are required to report by January 1st of 2024, we went through the exercise of the reporting sheet and we came to the conclusion that if there was a framework adopted today, we would be meeting the current standards if it was as is. Um, we would also be meeting the 2025 standards if they were implemented today. Where we start to be a little bit over our budget is come 2030. Um, but it's still just slightly over. Um, and it was a good exercise to look at and um, just to kind of give us reassurance. We're not looking at implementing any extreme conservation measure measures in the future as long as we keep up with the current conservation that our residents have been really good at doing. Um, in the past, we're looking to be okay. Again, um, once we start uh, bringing in those bonus incentives and stuff, it's going to give us a little bit of wiggle room as well. So. Um, that was great news for us. So that's a brief overview of the framework. Again, there are lots of little nitty-gritty items um, and best management practices that we'll have to implement um, in the near future. So, And with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Okay. Um, do we have any uh, speaker cards on this topic? We do not. We do not. Okay. That being said, I'm going to start off at the end of the table there. Thank you. Thanks for the presentation. I appreciate it. Are you familiar with a company locally called Sensor Industries? Yes. Are you doing any work with them? I have recently spoke with Meredith Hart about working with them. I know that she's been in contact with them. So um, in the past, most of our outreach has been associated with residential customers. And I know that that particular company that you're talking about, they're big with hotels. Um, so it is something that is on, you know, that we're looking at. And I have um, spoken with the company multiple okay. times as They're well. They're a local company. They're right on Main Street. Yes. David Duckwitz is the CEO. A very good friend. Um, they're in this space. And I realize that the Economic Development Committee meeting just ended. But uh, I'm not a shareholder. I have no financial interest in it. But I do, that, I do know that their model is about detecting water loss. Yeah, so they have a sensor that's actually on the toilet and it works through the app. So if it's picking up a toilet leak, it'll just send out a text message. Um, so I have, again, I have spoken with them and their product is, is really great. cool. It would yeah. be great to find a way to integrate them into your program since they are a local company. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. 
Emily? Um, I think it's really great that all the effort that you guys are doing, and I know personally from my daughter's school, they do Earth Day, and you guys had a booth there, and um, all the kids thought it was really wonderful, and my daughter got a book from there, and she loves reading it, and so I just wanted to commend you for that effort and the outreach, because I know it's really impactful going after the younger generation and making that conservation a way of life starting from there, and um, that's kind of my personal connection to it. Um, but what sort of number-wise, what percentage of customers do you think are really taking advantage of, of these programs? So I know you're talking, you know, acre feet per year saved in water. You're talking about maybe 900 installations of the race, circular story pumps. But how many people is that really affecting of the overall connections that you have. Yeah, so I think any agency participation as in regards to the, I couldn't give you exact numbers, but in, si in regards to the size of the population, probably going to be a low percentage of them. And we do notice that a customer that participates in one program is most likely to participate in all the programs. Um, so that kind of seems to be like, you know, if, if a customer gets a toilet rebate, then they'll probably do a washing machine rebate and participate in the outreach or the outdoor program. So um, I don't have the exact numbers, but we can look into um, what portion of the population is actually participating in the programs. Um, and then do you think you could just speak a little bit more about the bonus incentives and what that means for your 2030 goal and how that would be impactful? Just so again, everything is, nothing has been adopted right okay. now. Um, so they're, they're looking, I think it's a 15% max for potable reuse. And then it, it does kind of change too if you're doing injection versus um, direct potable reuse. Um, again, we've really been kind of focusing on these buckets. That's going to be our biggest push right now. Um, and in regards to the variances, a lot of that's like horse stables agriculture, livestock, so we're, we're not looking at really getting a variance. But yeah, most of the um, bonus incentives will revolve around um, potable reuse. Thank you. Yeah. Susan? Thank you. You got one of my questions. Um, I, I, the city does a great job on conservation, and it, I, I always enjoy hearing what you've been up to and everything Thank that's you. been saved. And the, knowing the acre feet per year saved also just feels like it's got some meat to it. Um, a few questions. How do you verify that when you give somebody a rebate that the device or the turf got installed? How does that work? Do you pay them after? Yes. So with the turf removal re rebate program, they actually have to apply for the program before they even remove their lawn, um, send in a site plan with plant lists and all of that, and then our consultant will give them the notice to proceed. They'll have 120 days to complete the project, and then after that, the consultant will actually remeasure the area um, and verify with pictures that they actually did the project. Mm -hmm. um, other items like the toilet program or the washing machine program, we require that they send us a receipt. Okay. Um, beyond that, we're not asking them for pictures of that particular advice device. Um, with the instant hot water recirculating pump, they actually have to send us a picture of it installed within 45 days. So we do our best to, to verify um, that the devices are actually going in and staying in. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, so we're, we're getting into more and more, uh, or lower and lower per capita use in the future. 
have you looked at or has someone on the staff looked at how that might affect wastewater flows and how that might affect water pure phase two um, and discharges? Uh, I was curious how, how we, what that might look like. Yeah, we have talked about it before. It's, it's a bit out of my wheelhouse, I will say, on that item. Um, but again, we're not looking at massive cuts in our indoor use. It's mostly going to be um, targeted towards CII customers and outdoor water use. And, and to follow up on that, um, back in when we started the program, um, we saw a considerable effort in conservation starting around 2013. Um, that has resulted in one million gallons a day less at the wastewater treatment facility. And we feel that we have pretty much plateaued on that reduction. It has changed the way we maintain our collection system. It has changed the way we have to operate our wastewater treatment plant. Um, but we feel that now, moving forward, um, we also have growth projections. So that will even out. So we feel that it's pretty steady um, what we're planning for in our advanced treatment. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, one last question. What do the new lead and copper rules require of the city with respect to customers' lines? Richard? <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> It'll be separate. There is some responsibility. You'll tell us later. Correct. The, the responsibility is going past the meter to the customer's home. And you'll give us an update on that at some point in the right. future. Okay. That's fine. Thank you. Thank you. I actually have no comments. I, these are good programs. I'm very familiar with them. I will be honest. I moved in in 2021, and I didn't want to wait for anybody to do inspections. And I wanted to get in between. I moved in in May. I wanted to plan by September. I just did it myself. But uh, I probably should have waited. But uh, getting rid of the There's still a lot of homes in my area, the east side of town, that were built in the 60s and the 90s that have a lot of grass and a lot of mowing strips out front that are irrigated heavily. As I walk my dog, it's disappointing, but uh, I guess I can't knock in their door. And probably you shouldn't be here. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good Thank day. you. As always, a uh, great job, Stephen. Thank We've you. Had personal contact with you at one of our rentals, and my wife was very impressed. So, uh, what we would expect. Um, the, and I think I know the answer to this, the hot water recirculating pump does not work with tankless water heaters, is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, I, yeah, I knew that, but I just thought I'd put it out. Yeah. Okay, great, great projects. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good evening, thank you very much for this and good job on your presentation with thank it. You. Uh, the question I have has to do with your staff report and some of the things that you reported in there, such as the um, high efficiency toilet rebates, uh, saving so many acre feet of water and all that. I was wondering, has there been any kind of cost analysis as to cost per acre foot in order for this program that, that we're spending in order to save? Yes, so we do look at that when we do the water efficiency plan. We have a cost-benefit ratio table in there that, that goes over our program. So um, outdoor programs are really expensive. Um, but you get a lot of bang for your buck. You get a lot of savings in the lifetime of the project. Um, you know, I think they factor for like 30 years on uh, turf replacement. Or things like a rain barrel, you're probably never going to see your, your return on investment on that. But it gets people interested in participating in other water conservation programs. So um, it is something that we look at. Okay. Um, 
The question I had also had to do with these target goals of 55 gallons a day. Uh, it begs the question, is this on a macro or a micro? Will you be looking at each person's house and will bills eventually come down to, let's say time of use even? Um, how, how big is this program and how specific does it get to each parcel? Yeah, so this is looking at overall. So this, it won't be the homeowner's responsibility to meet these goals. It's the total number. They're not looking at individual houses. It's our, our total number at the end of the year. Um, okay, great. That's good to hear. Uh, the, having to do with the water loss, I see that you have a standard in there that they allow 21.6 gallons per day. Per My question is, is, um, is that based on total water loss or adjusted water loss. So what, the, what, what do I mean between the two of them? Obviously you produce and then you sell. The difference between the two is total water loss. But you know you lose some water through fire hydrants, through street sweepers, through other connections. And you deduct that back out. So is that 21.6 based on the gross or the net? Um, Commissioner Amendola, I would need to look into that question a bit further, um, but generally, um, Amanda, would it would it be worth taking a short break to look into the the audio system um, potentially? Um, the but the the purpose of the uh, the advanced meters is primarily to inform the customers so they can have the most information um, possible about their their water usage and how to manage that and so the city is not going to use that information um, to bring enforcement action against a particular customer it would need some independent information um, like observing water going down the, the sidewalk, excessive use, things of that nature, um, if, if that's what you're getting at um, with your concerns. Well, one of my concerns would be the data processing obligations as it relates to any third party vendor and the contractual protections that the city has, in addition to um, the privacy rights to delete information, and I think this is a further discussion. Sounds good. Thank you. Any last minute comments? Mm -hmm. Hearing none, this is a receiving file. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a uh, short five-minute break or ten-minute break or until someone flags me down and let the <laughs> technicians figure out about why the PA system is being so temperamental tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> <It's> like, <"No." laughs> Don't cut me off. <laughs>
What did you say? Explain minutes? that to me. Yeah. You did it as a second. I was asking for it first. Oh, okay. okay. You're asking. I'm seeking oh, for it. Oh, you're going to have to earn your Robert Falls award. Yeah, you know. Like, Didn't you want for three? I can't make a motion as a chair. No. So I'm seeking a motion from you. You can't make a motion as a chair. As a chair. Oh, okay. Now, now I understand. It's funny because I, I, I'm on the board kind of stepping up the procedural stuff and I'm trying to figure out you were just asking for this. Okay. I'm seeking a motion. Oh, okay. I didn't know that you as the chair, now I'm getting closer to the center of the yep. earth. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the chair is not to make the motion to receive input from everyone else. Oh, the opportunity. okay. I, I never knew that. How long have I been here? <laughs> But once again, I didn't have you there. Kick me away. sleeping during the day. And then when I retired, I go, and, and then all
having said that about football, though, yeah. I, mean, I played at Davis, and the team was a very unusual group. They came up very successful team on Davis. One that was And because Davis was gone, of course, it's a bunch of very serious students. And this head of intensive care unit at Mass General Hospital was a wide receiver. And my body, Coach Morgan, was our other tight The head of for sports as one of our tackles. Really? There's like two other cardiologists. Yeah. yeah. This, so this all, is high level. This was all, you know, we played for fun. Test, 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 test. You were in a league, right? Yeah, but you played for fun. Test, test. You weren't going to get anything out of this as far as. Some people went pro, but I'm in. Yeah. We played in those days, it was like Hayward, South State Hayward, and Sac State, and Old State, Sonoma State. All the state. That level. Yeah. We had a game that we won. Hayward, uh, 16 points in 22 seconds. you got to be kidding me. So 22 seconds? <laughs> Touchdown. That's an exciting game, huh? Yeah, well, I, we, we had a reunion about every 10 years. Yeah. We just had one the fifth group. Oh, no we kidding. So did you play tapes of that, or they have you just some, talk about it? The film ran out from UC Davis. Yeah. They were kind enough to give us the films. Right. So we see the films. It's kind of yeah. funny. Actually. Yeah. But it's nice to see these guys. They come back and it's all uh, professional. Really neat to see people. To see that. Certainly, right somewhere, says something about the miracle game. Yeah. But it was just, it's one of those things. There's a website where they started and it sort of asked about where you are, what you're doing. And I went on and said something about what I learned in that. From that code, Thank you. The commercial industrial. I do want to ask you a question. That's right. Okay, everyone. We're going to go ahead and call back to order at 6:15. We'll see if the uh, PA system wants to behave. Um, so we're on to item number three. I'll give, turn that over to staff in order to talk about the selection process. All right. Um, and commissioners. Yes. Oh, I'm going to have Linda Szymanski oh, speak. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go for it, Linda. Sorry. I'm Linda Szymanski, the Ventura Water Pier Program Director. There is actually no presentation for this tonight, just a report. Um, so just to give a little bit of history um, before I get into kind of the meat of what we're doing tonight. Um, back in 1991, um, by uh, virtue of city council, um, there was a time, an ordinance that was um, made so that there could be more contributions for public art for the city of Ventura. And so it was at that time that the ordinance asked that 2% of the construction for each project that was approved would be set aside for public art. So that started, like I said, in 1991. Um, funds had been set aside until 2012. 
Um, at that time, City Council put a moratorium on setting aside these reserved funds for art for the water and wastewater funds. So that moratorium has been in effect and is continuing through 2026. Um, at this time, there is almost $1.2 million sitting in that fund, and that fund is only to be used for public art and only for water and wastewater. There is no way to transfer this money to any other use. So in 2001, the city actually um, made a proposal for a project and called the Harbor Wetlands Ecological Reserve Vision Plan. And it did move forward. Um, it was a project um, centered around the ponds down at the reclamation plant. Um, there was some conceptual work that was presented in 2007. And then in 2008, um, the city was sued and um, hence the consent decree was put in place so the project was put on hold. So since that time, um, that project has pretty much been shelved with all of the work that we've been doing um, around these other projects. Um, so with the advent of the Ventura Water Pure program, um, there was some thought that this money might be able to be used as part of some sort of installation at the advanced water purification plant, that this would be you know, a public-facing type of facility and that artwork might be appropriate there. So the, the art project was added for the Ventura Water Pure Advanced Plant to the CIP so that um, we could move forward with it. Um, to date, there has been an RFP that has gone out for artists. Um, the RFP um, actually received 114 people submitting who would like to actually collaborate with us. Um, the Arts and Culture Commission um, did, in their last meeting, narrow that list down to four artists um, who will be asked to give us an actual proposal. They just gave us qualifications for the first go-around. So uh, those folks are being notified um, and being asked if they would like to submit a proposal. Um, that work will be going on in um, for the middle of November till the beginning of January. At that time, um, the proposals will be in, and we will need a selection committee to narrow down the artists that we will continue to work with. Um, the reason for that timing is that we would like to have the artist on board to collaborate with our designers so that they can work mutually together in how to, what type of art we should be incorporating. So it's not an afterthought and something that's added in later. It is something that is part of the whole design process. So we are looking for a water commissioner to be um, to sit on the selection committee. Um, the committee will also have an arts and culture commission member. It will have a member um, from Ventura Water, a member from Ventura Water Pure, and then um, it will also have the designer, a member from the designers um, group, so that they can. Um, assess how you know they they can understand who the artists are and who they might like to work with as part of the selection 
So our ask this evening is that um, the commission select one member that would be available to sit on that selection committee. And um, that member would need to be available January 4th and 5th. That is our tentatively scheduled date to do the artist selection. So, with that being said by staff, is there anyone that immediately wants to raise their hand or throw their name in the hat as for consideration? Under normal circumstances, I would love to do it as art history and art appreciation were my best subjects in undergrad school, and I have a nice collection of local artists, however, I'll be out of town, so I'll have to withdraw my name from consideration. Okay. Yeah. I would like to take that position. It's yours. If no one else. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all step back. <laughs> okay. Okay, is there anyone else who wants to throw their name in the hat to arm wrestle, thumb wrestle with I, them? I don't want to fight Jim for it. <laughs> okay. You'd have to use your new arm. I do have one question for Linda. Yes. Linda, that $1.2 is that a cap? So the artwork wouldn't eat into the rest of the water pure budget, that's? That's correct. Um, that 1.2 is a cap, and the artist work, the actual installation, and all of that is covered under that 1.2 million, so none of, no Ventura water pure funds will be used towards any of this. Thank you. And I have a question. Um, I read in the previous staff report that was, it said Houston something or other? That's correct. And is that the city of Houston? No, the Contemporary Arts Museum of Houston ha is actually a sub-consultant to Corolla, who are our owner's advisors. This is the type of work that they do on a regular basis, helping public entities like us um, who are looking for artwork or art to be part of their projects. So they're curators, and this is something that they do all the time. So they are helping us through this process to spend this money. It sounds wonderful, but there's probably oil money behind this. I'm sorry, what was that? Is there oil money behind this? I can't this answer that for you. I don't know. I just know. want to make sure that we're not convoluting oil money with water. Thank you. Okay. Okay, um, I'll entertain a motion from someone for Mr. Jim Ackerman to be appointed to the Art Selection Committee on behalf of the Water Commission. So I'll move. Oh, beat you to I'll it. So move. I'll second. Okay. Commissioner Amendola? Yes. Commissioner Armbrister? Aye. Commissioner Mulligan? Yes. Commissioner Savage? Yes. Vice Chair Ackerman? Abstain. Chair Aranio? Aye. And the motion passes with five ayes and one abstain. Okay. Thank you, Jim. Yes, sir. Okay. For the real meat and potatoes of this meeting tonight, we're on to item number four. All right. Um, again, Linda Szymanski, Ventura Water Pure Program Director. And um, this evening, um, we're here for an update from our last meeting. Um, so... Our agenda for this evening, um, we're going to go over some legal considerations first, um, and then we'll move on to talk about um, the impacts on funding um, from the increased costs for Ventura Water Pure and the Membrane Bioreactor Project. 
Um, first, we'll look at alternatives that were um, studied before um, when we were looking at Ventura, picking Ventura water pure. And then we'll go over um, potential rate impacts um, from the increased costs. We'll talk about what we have going on and what our next steps are. And then we'll open the floor for questions and discussions. So Mr. Hogan is actually going to give the legal considerations portion of this. Uh, good evening. Uh, for members of the public, Miles Hogan, Senior Assistant City Attorney. So first I'm going to start off with a few slides on legal considerations. This is uh, in response to a few questions from the Commission um, at the regular, uh, the last regular meeting. And um, yes, I, I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but I'll just, I'll just dive right in. So the first question, oh, I, I remember. It was, uh, it's at the very end of the staff report is where you find this information, but we decided to uh, get it out of the way at the beginning of the, the PowerPoint. So the first question uh, uh, is responding to what requirements are found in the consent decree and what requirements are found um, in uh, the city's National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System permit or um, NPDES uh, permit. And that's the permit that regulates the city's discharge at the Ventura Water Reclamation Facility. So the key requirements that are found in those two documents um, the first one that's found in both the consent decree and the NPDES permit is the requirement to divert everything above the continued discharge level of 1.9 million gallons per day by the end of 2025. So the continued discharge level is the amount that was uh, studied and identified as the ideal amount to initially keep discharging to the estuary and then the city is to study that for a period of at least three years to see how the estuary responds. And then we would move on uh, to the final discharge level of between zero and 0.5 MGD, uh, depending on the results of those three years of study. So that is the, the CDL or the continued discharge level. And that requirement uh, uh, is found in the consent decree and has also been wrapped into the city's NPDES permit. The city will initially achieve this requirement through construction of the outfall and outfall pump station. The city will be able to divert that water um, through the outfall by the end of 2025 and maintain that uh, uh, requirement to divert by the end of 2025 in the consent decree and the NPDES permit. The next requirement is to then use that diverted water and beneficially reuse it. Uh, so that will uh, be achieved, the current plan is to achieve that with the construction of an advanced water purification facility um, and then groundwater wells to inject the, uh, the purified water into a local groundwater basin. That's going to take some additional time um, and will be achieved by the end of 2027. And that was negotiated with Wishtoyo and Heal the Bay and uh, the city reached an MOU with them this summer about that updated schedule, and they find that revised schedule acceptable, um, as do all the regulatory agencies. So that has been an adjustment from the original of doing everything by 2025. We now have a little bit more time um, to beneficially reuse that water. Um, and I just want to clarify that 
even though we are allowed to initially um, discharge the water out the outfall, that can't be a long-term solution. We are eventually required to put it to beneficial reuse, something like potable reuse and the other alternatives that uh, Ms. Szymanski is going to go over. And then there's one additional requirement found in the consent decree uh, that the remaining discharge to the estuary must meet a nitrate limit of four milligrams uh, per liter. So uh, the continued discharge level, we will continue to discharge some amount of water to the estuary, and Wish Toy and Heal the Bay wanted to make sure that that water was of a higher standard than uh, the current discharge. This is a lower limit than what's currently in the city's NPDES permit, and that limit is reevaluated every five years when the permit is renewed. Um, and this requirement will be achieved with the membrane bioreactor ultraviolet light uh, project at the Ventura Water Reclamation Facility, which will be constructed by the end of 2027. Um, I also have received some questions about uh, financial infeasibility provisions in the consent decree. So there is a uh, provision in there um, referred to as the net investment cap. Um, that was uh, the amount that's identified is $55 million. There's some escalation provisions in the consent decree on how you would go about calculating it if the city wanted to um, exercise this provision in the consent decree. Uh, but I do want to clarify a few points. This is really what's known as a meet and confer provision. So if the city wants to explore financial infeasibility due to the um, increased cost estimates of the project, it, it starts off a meet and confer process with Wishtoy and Hilda Bay. So we would re reopen negotiations um, with them. Um, however, it does not limit or eliminate the city's obligation to implement a diversion infrastructure project. Um, that's the key point I want to highlight. Um, it, it gets us back to the table with them, but we still need to implement a diversion infrastructure project that meets the requirements of the consent decree. Um, it only allows um, us to implement a different diversion infrastructure project, and it does not limit the city's requirement to comply with state and federal laws um, otherwise, such as the NPDES permit requirements um, that govern the operation of the uh, reclamation facility. And then uh, this uh, I discussed in our recent presentation to city council. Uh, we often get the question, what if the city doesn't comply or if there's a delay? Uh, so this could be a violation of the consent decree and the city's NPDES permit, um, which would come with potential fines, uh, significant fines and lawsuits. Uh, it could also be a breach of the enclosed bays and estuaries policy, as well as the California uh, recycled water policy. And then uh, for environmental review, uh, the California Environmental Quality Act or the National Environmental Policy Act, um, the current record um, supports Ventura Water Pure as the preferred um, and most environmentally um, beneficial project. Uh, and so it would take quite amount of work to uh, explore a different alternative um, given the record to date uh, as that being the preferred alternative. Um, and then, of course, uh, um, delays could cause delay to the water supply benefit of Ventura Water Pure and also the water quality improvements that Ventura Water Pure will bring.
And with that, I will uh, turn it back to Ms. Szymanski. Okay, so just to do a brief update from the last meeting, a few reminders of where we were and where we left off. So we did update the construction cost estimates for fiscal year 2025. And as we had noted, um, we were able to update the cost with bid prices that we actually received on the outfall, both the onshore and the offshore projects. Um, we're now in design and do have some cost estimates from our consultants, so we updated with those for those projects, which is the outfall pump station, um, the equalization that we need, and um, the MBRUV project. And then finally, um, because we were seeing a lot of um, increased cost, we actually had our owner's advisor, Carollo, go back and update the uh, AWPF and the well, or the AWPF costs um, by actually going back and visiting vendors and getting updated prices for us. Um, and we updated our pipeline and well costs based on some recent public works projects. So as we noted, um, the bids that we received were about 35% higher than what our estimates were. Um, and we actually, in updating all of our cost, included a 6% escalation rather than a four to reflect the um, inflation that we've been seeing that I showed you the chart on the last time. So this slide is a summary of basically the costs, um, the prior costs that we had. They're actually the costs that were used in the WIFI alone um, and the current cost based on our updates. And then I've included a column um, is basically a summary of all of the graphs, if you'll remember from the presentation last time. We had a, a graph for each of the components. Um, this is just a summary of all of those. So the bottom line, as you'll remember, um, the WIFIA costs um, were $374 million. Our current cost estimates are showing a project cost of 500 and almost $557 million. So I want to turn now to alternatives. And as a reminder, um, these, you know, as we're looking at alternatives, there are some requirements that we have. And as Mr. Hogan noted, um, we do have regulations for estuary diversion and for beneficial reuse, which is the 50% reclamation use that's shown here. Um, we also do have requirements on improving water quality, and then we also have the need for water supply, and I'll go into those two a little bit more. Um, on the bottom, I actually included the timeline. This is from the uh, memorandum of agreement that we have with Wishtoyo and Heal the Bay at the moment, that we will uh, divert discharge from the estuary by 2025 and implement beneficial reuse by 2027. So I wanted to show this graph on uh, local water supplies. I think it uh, is, um, it, it shows the reason why water supply is a, a large component of this. Um, I will say that this is kind of the worst of the worst case. Um, so this is a worst case drought scenario. Um, it does show, um, it does have us in the highest stages, um, stage five. 
um, for reductions. Um, it does include the allocation reductions that are planned for the Oxnard Basin. Um, it does actually, um, does, it does not show any growth as part of this. So um, the, you, the lines that you see kind of in the uh, medium blue and the red actually are not showing growth at this point. So it is you know, a good chance that we will actually see higher demands than what we're showing there. But what this really shows us is, is if we are to enter another drought, and you know, similar to what we have just seen, that by 2023, by 2030, we actually will need additional water supplies, and right now those are planned from Ventura Water Pure. On the water, water quality standpoint, um, I think many folks here know that we have hard water. Um, you know, our, our water is safe to drink. It meets all of the, uh, the um, Department of Drinking Water recommend, recommended levels, but it is hard. And um, we, are, we have received um, some information from the Department of Drinking Water that we do need to reduce um, the TDS, or total dissolved, total dissolved solids that contributes to hardness. So having the pure water actually helps in a dilution factor. And back in May, for those of you who were on Water Commission there, we did do a little bit on blending and the improvements that we would see with Ventura Pure Water um, with the addition to groundwater. So um, we do need to actually make water quality improvements. Okay, so kind of with that background, we can kind of move on to the different alternatives. And these are the five alternatives that were part of the original analysis uh, when Ventura Water Pure was selected. So these come from the 2019-2020 timeframe. So one is the purple pipe expansion. So what this would be is for us to ex expand the network of our recycled water pipes so that we can deliver recycled water to more customers. Um, this is actually a figure, this is an older figure that we pulled from one of the earlier um, studies that was done on this. But um, it, it shows where, where we are, where we have it, uh, where we have um, the reclamation water going now, and then some, some of the potential expansion that we could do. So desalination was also one of the items that was on the list. Um, probably many folks are familiar with this, but this would require um, an intake from the ocean. Um, it would go through a pretreatment through reverse osmosis um, to create the potable drinking water, and then the um, the concentrate, similar to what will happen with AWPF, will go back to the ocean. One of the other alternatives was taking water to the United Water Conservation spreading grounds. And so you can see a map here of um, all the pipelines that would actually uh, be needed to make this happen. Um, as you can see, that we would, we would need new pipeline all the way up to the spreading grounds itself. Um, we still would need to have the outfall 
um, as, as an outlet in case there was some sort of emergency or maintenance need on that pipeline. Um, we are showing the advanced water purification plant here, and that is because there are limits um, to the quality of water that can be taken into the spreading grounds. And currently our recycled water does not meet those. And without the advanced water purification plant, um, we would be dependent on blending the, our current recycled water with water on the, from the Santa Clara River. And that is not a steady source of supply that we could use to blend to meet the water quality to be able to take the water to the spreading grounds. So we believe to have a consistent operation to be able to get rid of that water, we would need to build the advanced water purification plant. So that's why it is shown on this slide. Um, the other point that I wanted to make on this one is that you know, we would be taking water and spreading it um, in the United Conservation District area. We would be then doing a hopefully one-to-one -one exchange for the water that's being injected, but it's not solving our water quality problems. And so the TDS reduction that we need to, need to do would have to be accomplished by actually adding probably groundwater to salting. So um, another alternative was um, pipelines to Oxnard. There are actually two different alternatives here. Um, the first one would be to um, take our, our recycled water um, down to the Oxnard Advanced Water Purification Plant. Um, they would process it and then they would inject it. That's the, the scenario that's shown on the left. We would then recover on a one-to-one -one basis in our current um, our current basin. And again, um, we do need the outfall for any type of emergency or maintenance. And um, the other thing that we would need also, because we're still recovering our hard groundwater, would be probably groundwater desulting to help with the water quality. Um, the other option with Oxnard is we could do the same thing, take the water there, they could treat it. But we could build a pipeline back to return the pure water and we could inject it um, just as we are planning to do um, from the water we're producing with the advanced water purification plant. That would give us the benefit of having that water quality um, help us with the groundwater. So we updated this chart. This is actually from, I believe it's 2020. Um, there were a lot of, you know, all the different um, alternatives that we just went over are shown on this chart compared to uh, the various regulations. Um, we've also added one at the bottom um, that meets timeline. Um, and that's, it meets the 2027 deadline that is now part of our uh, memorandum of agreement with Wishtoyo and Heal the Bay. So as you can see, um, desalination and purple pipe are not going to meet our diversion requirements nor our beneficial reuse. Um, they would, um, the desalination would actually help with our local water supply and um, would certainly help with water quality. However, I do want to point out that our current outfall is um, 
It has permits from both the State Lands Commission and the California Coastal Commission, and both of those permits do not allow the outfall use for desalination. So we would have to go back and renegotiate that or, or do something about those permits. So as you can see for purple pipe, um, it really is not meeting any of, of the uh, requirements that we have. Um, as you look across, um, really the one that is probably the most suitable and probably the closest to the project that um, we are working on right now with the Advanced Water Purification Plant um, is to take the water to Oxnard and to bring the water back and inject it here. Um, we've said that it actually does meet all of the uh, requirements that we have. The only one that it's not going to meet is the timeline. So we actually updated costs um, on the alternatives um, that excluding desalination and excluding purple pipes since they did not meet the diversion and beneficial use requirements. So um, we have a price for each of these. I'll, I'll go through and try and explain where some of these prices come from. So the AWPF price is, um, you know, we said that we would need to build that for the United Water Conservation District so that we have water that can be accepted on a consistent basis at their spreading grounds. So we would still need the advanced plant for that. Um, we also said that um, there is a reduction in the price that we would pay for an advanced water purification plant if we were to take the water to Oxnard. And what that's based on is the fact that Oxnard does have an advanced water purification plant. When we put these numbers together, we assumed that we would be able to expand their plant. We might, be, we might need to add an additional couple buildings, and we would need to add the, the um, membranes, both the uh, microfiltration and the reverse osmosis membranes. So that's why that number is less, because they have an existing plant, but we would still need to upgrade it because they have plans for their capacity already. They don't have excess capacity waiting for us. We would have to provide that. Um, the pipeline costs. Um, so those pipeline costs are basically associated with the length of pipe to get to the various areas. Um, the United Water Conservation District is the pipe to the spreading grounds. Um, the one for Oxnard no return is just to get the recycled water down there. Um, the one for returning the pure water is a pipeline down there and a pipeline back. And you'll notice that it's not double. Um, we gave ourselves a little bit of credit for already doing a project and having a pipe, so it's, it's not quite double the price for that pipeline. That's why those are different. So uh, for the injection wells, um, of course, we wouldn't need to build anything at United because they already have the spreading grounds. Um, for Oxnard, in speaking with them, um, we understand that they would also need to build injection wells. To hand, or 
we would have to build injection wells for them to be able to handle um, the water that we are setting for them. They're currently um, working on their pilot ASR and they are planning um, six more injection wells, but that is for their own production. So there, there is no, again, no capacity waiting for us. Um, for the outfall in the MBR, um, I left these in here for each of them. Um, as you'll kind of remember, these are projects that are kind of outside of the Ventura Water Pier and the differences. Um, the outfall we need to build to help to reach diversion, and no matter what alternative we were to go with, we still need to have that emergency or maintenance outlet for water to the ocean. Um, for the MBR, um, we're solving for a different problem here. Um, that is the, you know, the uh, project um, that was selected over rehabbing um, what, what is currently there. And it also provides us, as Mr. Hogan noted, the, uh, the extra nutrient removals that we need f to comply with the consent decree. I left them in here because I wanted to get to the total cost. Um, so that it looked the same as what you're seeing on previous slides. But as you can see, um, the Ventura Water Pure project, when you look at the costs, um, still is, you know, the less expensive, but, you know, competitive with several of the others. I will say, though, for the United Water um, Conservation District and for the Oxnard No Return, um, we talked about potentially needing groundwater desalting uh, for water quality, those numbers are not added in to this total. So those projects actually would be more expensive. Um, just a note on, you know, if we were to move to a different alternative at this point, I mean, there are a number of things that would need to be reopened. Um, we would need to reopen the environmental impact report. Um, we would need to um, work with the regional board and the state water resources control board and several other agencies on permits. Um, and then we would actually need to um, start with a preliminary and final design. Um, and um, we figure that that time frame is probably anywhere from two to five years. So it does put us beyond um, what we have in the consent decree at this point. So moving on to potential rate impacts. So just a little bit of history on where we are right now with our rate studies. So back in 2021, um, we conducted a rate study um, it was approved by Water Commission and Council and implemented for rates in fiscal year 2022. Um, it set rates for a five-year period, so that was fiscal year 2022 through 2026. And those rates were set for a yearly increase of 7% for water rates and 6% for wastewater rates. Um, we were currently set to do the next rate study um, implementing it in um, the spring of 2026 so that rates would be in place beginning fiscal year 27, again for five years through 2031. 
So I also wanted to note on here that we do an annual check-in um, in the springtime with Water Commission to look at the sufficiency of the rates for the projects that are going on, and we continue to do that. Um, just to kind of note there in the note, those are the types of things that um, we look at when we're um, looking at the rate study. We're looking at um, the various tiers of water usage, um, you know, what water shortage rates might be, um, looking at our needs for various infrastructure, and also looking at financing options that we have. So I wanted to show this slide because it shows the difference um, in how we're funding um, based on the increased prices. So on the left-hand side, um, that is the pie chart of how we were going to be funding. Um, I've left out the grants that uh, we have applied for that we do not necessarily have in hand yet. So hopefully that purple slice in each of those in, will go up in the case on the right. But for right now, we're only taking um, into account what we actually have in hand, which is $18 million um, so far from the Bureau of Reclamation. So as you can see, um, you know, the WIFI amount, um, it was 49%, which was the limit um, with the um, cost that we had used at that particular point in time. They will only um, fund up to 49% of the project, so the rest of it was going to be made up by grants and um, rates um, used to support bonds. So now that the costs have increased, um, the amount of the WIFI alone has not changed. It is actually now a smaller percentage of the overall project. Um, and so we, we need to finance more through um, rates and bonding opportunities, um, assuming that we do not get any other grants. And I just want to note on this also that, you know, we don't have as much WIFIA money to spend, and it will be spent more quickly because of the increase in the costs. So we've worked with our rate consultants um, to take a look at a number of different scenarios. Um, so what we have in the next set of slides are actually um, five different scenarios. One is the um, the information from the current rate study with the, um, the rates that were approved in this five-year cycle. We have the rates um, that were given when we um, gave our update on the WIFI alone. So those are in there. Those, those are kind of the givens. And then we ran three scenarios against those. So the first one um, is basically taking our WIFI alone and using all of the flexibility that we can get from it. And that includes um, actually capitalizing interest to defer outlay, and then also um, <coughs> deferring repayment of the WIFI loan until five years after substantial completion. And we needed to take advantage of both of those to get to um, the costs that you're seeing. Um, if we had not taken advantage of those, the uh, rate increases that you're seeing on the next slides would have been higher. Um, I also wanted to note that um, in our current rate study, um, 
the various projects are divided up um, cost-wise to either the wastewater fund or the water fund, depending on the benefit to each of them. Um, in our current rate study, um, the cost for the advanced water purification plant are divided 50-50 between the water and the wastewater plant. So for scenario two, um, we took scenario one and we said, you know, the advanced water purification plant is going to um, provide 80% of what comes to it as potable water and 20% going out as brine. So we wanted to relook at the allocation and what impact that might have on, um, on rates. And so that's scenario two. Again, it, it, it incorporates all of the information from scenario one. The only thing it does is changes the allocation of the funds between water and wastewater. In scenario three, we actually took scenario one, again, with all of the WIFIA um, levers that we could use, and we put in $87 million of grant money just, just to see what that might look like. Um, that would be a best case scenario based on applying and getting money from the Bureau of Reclamation large scale recycling grant program or any other programs that we can find that will provide grant money to us. So these are the results um, looking at all of these different scenarios. So again, as I mentioned, um, the rate study um, goes through, um, the rate study is our current rates of 7%. Um, they actually go through 2026. Um, what we have been using is just a continuation of those into the next cycle. Those were just projected um, and not changed. They were just considered to continue. Um, for the WIFI alone, you can see that there was a, an impact um, on, on the rates that for water when we got to the next five-year cycle, an increase of 1%. Um, in scenario one, you can see that um, those, those rates are, um, again, higher than the WIFI alone, but um, not as dramatic as you'll see in the next, next slides. Um, for scenario two, where we shifted some of the costs over to water, you can see it actually does bump the yearly rates up to 10%. And you know, even, even if we were to get that large amount of grant money, there is still a, a little bit of an increase in rates needed above what we projected from the WIFI alone. So this is the one that's a little bit tougher to take. Um, these are the wastewater rates. Um, again, we have been projecting 6% um, as part of the 6% in the current rate study and projecting 60% or six, sorry, 6% into the next cycle. Um, for the WIFI alone, um, with those costs, we were showing that we did need a one-time bump um, in 2027. That's really to cover um, the debt ratio and um, make sure that we have enough cash on hand. And then after that, we leveled off at about 9%. So in scenario one, with the increased costs, um, we are looking at a significant increase in rates in the years 20, 
27 and 2028. Um, you know, due to the fact that 50% of the increased costs are going towards wastewater and also increased cost for MBR. So once, once we get through those two years, then we're able to kind of level out and come back down to um, a, a rate that was slightly less than what was shown for the WIFI alone. Um, scenario two, um, that was of course shif shifting money over to water and you saw that it increased the water rates to double digits. Um, and it didn't necessarily provide us as much help as we had hoped in 27 and 28. Um, it's still, still steep increases for rates in those two years. Um, scenario three, again, is you know, if we're lucky enough to get grant funding, it does help, um, but we are still looking at um, significant, well, we're still looking at increases above what we were showing in WIFIA, but not quite as significant. Um, we still show that um, first year bump and then a little bit of a higher increase required in the, in the years after that. So that's nice, we can look at all the percentages that we want, but this is probably the bottom line and the numbers that everybody is really interested in. Um, what we've done in this graph, or this table, is show um, the costs um, for a average single-family residence using um, 9-HCF um, for a, a commercial um, and for um, a restaurant. And so the, these different numbers, um, you'll see in the first column, um, the WIFIA, WIFIA the, the payment of a customer based on the WIFIA rates in the previous slide. And I want to mention that these are combined water and wastewater. So it is both of them together. This is the bill. So. Um, for 26, um, those numbers are, again, uh, right now based on the current rate cycle with the 7% increases with water and the 6% increases with wastewater. And then the next five-year cycle is 27 to 29 using those um, previous percentages. So as you can see, um, there are some, you know, there are increases. And probably the larger increases that you're seeing here are, you know, in 2027. And then they tend to taper off a little bit after that, just kind of based on a lot on that um, wastewater two-year bump. So, um, you know, if you look at, look at the differences um, in the first year, it is um, about $5.60 for our, our average um, customer, um, single-family residential customer, about $4.30 for a small retail, and then um, about $35 for the um, restaurants. So um, these numbers are all shown as um, increases from what would have been with the WIFIA rates versus the scenario one. And again, you know, looking at some of those other um, percentages that we had, you know, with grants, you know, these numbers would come down and then they would adjust otherwise um, for 
for um, scenario two also. So next steps. Uh-oh, missing a slide. Do you all have a, a ongoing work in your... Uh... I have an ongoing work of mine. Okay, well, there's not one up there, so I'm just going to read to you. Um, so we did apply for the large-scale grant funding um, opportunity. Um, I believe we applied for $83 million. Um, this, this would be for us a multi-cycle application, so this is just the first cycle. Um, so that went in on the 21st. We actually expect to hear something in the February timeframe. We do know there's a lot of competition out there for this. Um, there are a lot of large projects that are looking for grant funding also. But we still remain hopeful. Um, as part of that um, grant application, we also need to do something called a feasibility study. It basically um, looks at your project, the economic benefits of your project, and the cost of water for your project. And we had done one of these for our previous um, applications for the Bureau of Reclamation, so we will use a lot of that information. The one difference with this feasibility that we need to add on is a peer review. So we have hired Stantec, who has done these peer reviews for other agencies to go through and make comments on our application about you know, the costs that we have included. Um, do they seem reasonable? Um, do, do times seem reasonable? Those types of things. So they will actually be critiquing and providing that, and we will need to provide that to the Bureau of Reclamation. Um, other things that we are um, looking at, we do have some additional runs that we want to make um, with our model. So working with the uh, rate consultants and also the financial advisors, a um, couple of things that we want to look at. Um, for those of you who have been part of the commission um, previously, um, I think you know that as part of our model assumptions, we put in actual costs for the capital improvement projects that we know and have identified. When you get to the out years, um, there is um, an assumption that is made about how much money we will spend each year because we don't know what those projects are going to be. And so um, one of the things that you know, we can take a look at is some of those out-year assumptions that we've made on um, the non-Ventura Water Pier and the non-MBR projects. And there is some information in your staff report, you know, kind of on the history of spending over the past three years and the past 15 years, where there might, we might be able to make some adjustments with the caveat that, you know, we now have a lot more projects and unfortunately projects are a lot more expensive. So we'll, we'll need to actually weigh all that in as we take a look at that. Um, the other piece that we will look at, um, we've just completed the capital improvement plan. Um, we'll look for things that could potentially be deferred and things that we could push out further. Um, 
One of the other things that we want to look at um, is modifying the time when, when we do the advanced water purification plant and the groundwater well construction. Um, we don't have the luxury at this point, but we would have to open the negotiations with Wishtoyo and Heal the Bay to change those deadlines and get the regulators to um, weigh in and agree with that. Um, it is something that we can look at um, with the caveat that as we push things out, we're also going to have increased costs for them. So we're not sure exactly what that's going to tell us, but it's probably worth something probably worth looking at. And then the last piece um, that I wanted to put out for conversation, um, you know, in all of the cases that we looked at, um, we were holding the rate steady in fiscal year 2026, which is the last year of this rate cycle. There might be some benefit to actually looking at rates for fiscal year 2026. And as I had mentioned earlier, we are going to be spending money a little faster because of the increased costs. Um, to go out for the bonding, we are probably going to need to open the rate study early anyway. That doesn't mean that we need to change the fiscal year 2026 but we are going to need to show rates in place to cover costs for whichever projects we decide to do. If we're opening that early, you know, looking at an increase in 2026 is a potential. So it is something that we actually want to run a scenario on. So um, going on from there, um, so we will be reviewing these findings um, with council on December 18th. We also have some other items in front of council on the 18th. Um, most, some of them are just renewals um, with um, extensions of time for contracts, but the large one will be um, the advanced water purification design contract. And the reason that it is going at this particular point in time from a schedule standpoint to be able to make 2027, um, we are bumping up against a time limit to get them on board and get the advanced plant constructed in time. So um, we're gonna continue to work on the rate model. Um, I wanted to point out that we are putting in all of the Ventura water pure information that we have. Um, we're just finishing the CIP for all of the non-Ventura water pure projects. And so we need to add those in. We've kind of gotten off kilter in how, we, you know, how we're doing our updates. And unfortunately, Ventura water pure has kind of been in the fall and then um, you see the other CIP information as part of the rate check-in in, in the spring. So we do need to add that information in also so that we can see the whole picture and come back to you with some recommendations. So we're going to continue to work on these things um, and we will be back um, with some more information for you in the new year. And with that, our recommendation was to um, receive a report and a presentation. So we're 
happy to entertain discussion and questions. And I just wanted to, at this point, say thank you to many folks in the room here who helped with a lot of information that's in this report and this presentation. And then also let you know that Kevin Kostiak from Raftelis, our rate consultant, is here in case you have like really intricate questions that I can't answer about the rate model. So with that, I'll turn it back over to you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, so do we have a speaker card on this item? From we have two public speakers. We have Bert Handy and Bob Aviani. Okay. Bert? Good evening again, Council. How are you doing? Uh, a couple questions I had in regards on page five, which isn't up here, it's the Oxnard one. Oxnard Pure Water Return Option states Ventura Water would pump the tertiary water effluent to Oxnard for purification. Why in the chart on page five does it state there is a cost for the AWPF, which you're saying is basically for a desal plant? The desal plant could be used, you know, if you return the water to Ventura, What's the need for the desal plant or the $113 at that point, $113 million? Oxnard No Return has AWA costs listed along with injection wells. Why build a treatment plant? Well, the treatment plant's for water purification from what I was seeing. The United Water Conservation District option shows a full cost for the AWPF. Doesn't that tertiary water just need basically a desalt? issue, it doesn't need to be totally pure water. That's the way I understood it, to take all those purifications out. And I don't understand why you have to go to a full AWPF on that one. In regards to this show, the full charge for water being sent to United would not require full treatment. It is possible to treat the effluent for TDS, hardness, and nitrate only, not any other things. Only then to send the water to United Water Spreading Grounds. Also treat the water by the wells of the golf course instead of bringing it all the way back over to the advanced treatment facility over by where the current plant is. That way it would save a, a double pipeline going one way and the other back to where the Oxnard, I mean the golf course is over there by Victoria. And returning to Harbor and Levis, that doesn't make sense. The desal would require water from the ocean. The area of Alessandro and Seaward where the current Ventura Fire Training Facility is located was a location for wells in the 1950s, which supplied water to Ventura. And the reason they took that out was supposedly a saltwater intrusion on a well that was at Pierpont. That is in the Mound Basin. But the question is, the Oxnard wells are right next to the Mound Basin, and they're basically taking out of the same aquifer that flows into the Mound Basin. So there's real, it's really hard to separate those two to say what is the amount of water that's available in this full area. That needs to be investigated. It's, uh, you can run a line, it's about a two mile run from there, from the Alessandro down by the railroad tracks. And then you could also come through a farm right there, which we have an easement to go straight through down to where the current planned EWPF is located. I have talked to Mr. Bondi about this location and since they have, do not have any wells over in that area at all, they really haven't studied it to see how it, it would affect 
the um, water usage in the area for basically, you know, for quality in the Mound Basin. Am I stopped right now? Yeah, fortunately, it's just okay. Thank you. Question for Mr. Hennig. Yes. Okay, so, sir, when you originally started speaking about numbers, you referenced page five or slide five? It would be slide five. Slide five. Okay. Uh -huh. Is that the same as what's in the staff report? These numbers. Costs. Is that the one you're referring to? Yes, that one. Yes, that's, that's the one I was talking about. Okay, and can you clarify, because we didn't see that? Well, the question is when... Clarify your comments one more time. When you're talking about the pure water return, why would we need an advanced water treatment facility there if it's coming back and we're going to use injection wells at $116 million? That does not make sense to me. The injection wells I understand, the outfall I understand, and the land is there. But the question is, what do you really need the land for if you're not really going to be doing anything but moving the water down to Oxnard and then bringing it back? So that should be 116, probably, what, 620 instead of that. It's going to be about $500 million, $78 million savings off the, or $56 million savings off the um, system that they look with pure water. And the United Water area right there, that's AWPF. I don't believe that is an accurate figure if you're only doing partial treatment. And um, the injection wells, you don't need the outfall. So that's going to reduce that one down also, below the 556 also. So I believe those two wells, those two areas should be checked out. Thank you. Any other questions? I don't have any more at this time, but I will. <laughs> Thank you. To be able to respond to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, just just make sure. Okay, please, sir. Um, again, sorry I didn't give Bert the heads up. Uh, three minutes. Thank you, Bob Elviani. Um, Linda, very nice presentation. A lot of information there. I appreciate it very much. It's like jumping on a speeding train, but. Having said that, I do know that we were talking about extending the uh, the time, the deadlines, and the time frame for most of these things having to do with the consent decree five years ago, and we couldn't get those things extended. As the dates got closer and closer, we finally got the uh, memo of understanding and got those things extended. And I think you should start writing the extension again because a lot of these things are not going to happen in the time frame that I think that everyone hopes for. Uh, having said that, uh, this particular uh, chart here, the sources and the information that it came from, you, uh, you implied that you had spoken with Oxnard. It would be very interesting to see the sources and the dates and the amounts and breakdowns if you've actually gotten uh, bids from these different agencies. Uh, I happen to believe that there is capacity in Oxnard. As of two weeks ago, spoke to someone who has knowledge of Oxnard, and they do have capacity to go ahead and handle what we can send them. Uh, you know, at, at some point in time, we just get into this whole situation of uh, the cost of the scale of the project. And we're talking about uh, a great deal of money for a up to 20%. And I, I do want to uh, challenge that because there was a comment on 
on Ventura TV or whatever it was, in which our general manager was quoted as saying, uh, it's 20%, leaving out the up to. And, and that's a little misleading to the public because uh, Ventura Water Pure is said to possibly produce up to 20% more water resource to us. And we shouldn't mislead the, the people and be talking about numbers and then leave off some very important terms and lead them to believe that now we're talking about 20% more uh, water. It might be up to 20%, just like whenever we talk about state water, you know, it could be 10,000 acre feet per year. Okay, so let's be realistic in our, when we start talking about hard numbers, let's also be honest with the public with regard to how much we're going to be able to provide and produce. Um, uh, I know um, Mr. Hogan uh, talked about uh, quite a bit of work to possibly unwind or, or undo some of these things. I'm not sure what quite a bit of work is. Uh, if it needs to be undone in some cases, in some scenarios, well then that's what it's going to require. Uh, but to go ahead and say, well, it's going to be quite a bit of work if we go ahead and, and take a few steps back before we take a few steps forward. So, um, you know, we just need to be honest with the public with regard to uh, what we're looking at here because this is the largest project probably um, in the county <coughs> that I know of in at least 40 years. So uh, we need to be realistic about this. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> No others? Okay. Very well. Let's uh, start off with commissioners um, with questions. I assume that, well, let me back up. Uh, the way I typically like to do this is everyone's going to get a chance to come on through. Someone's probably going to make a comment that's going to create a question and a, an ongoing conversation. So trust me, you're all going to get at least two chances <laughs> to bite at this apple here, especially given the uh, size, scope, and seriousness of this project and what we got looking ahead of us. So um, I promise you all get your chance. Uh, George, want to start off? Um, would it be appropriate to start out at the beginning with Mr. Hogan or with Mr. However Mr. you feel comfortable doing it. I've got okay. my pen ready to make notes and... Well, since the alternatives are up there, let's just go with the alternatives. Okay. okay. Mr. Maskey. seem to change and a couple weeks ago you know staff went to council to apply for a grant and to request approval to apply for a grant and that's not even in tonight's presentation because of the uncertainty of obtaining that grant I understand that but that's not what was told to council a couple weeks ago and there was a lot of certainty that you were going to get a grant. As a matter of fact, I noticed that um, because we were over the qualifying half a billion dollars um, to apply for that grant. Um, but then I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that there were reference in the staff report about having monies from the grant. Was there a, a figure of 95 million in the grant or in the report? That's correct. Um, we, when we went to council, um, we, we asked for up to $125 million. Um, 
that was so that we had some flexibility. We actually thought that we would be, for the time frame that the grant is available for, we thought that we could get approximately 95 million, and that's what was in the council report. <coughs> What's being shown here is 87 million, which is approximately the number that we have applied for in the first round. So there are three rounds where you can go. So those, that's the difference in the grants amounts. Okay, and, and look, I can appreciate not wanting to rely on money that we don't have today. But again, going back a couple of weeks ago, there was a high degree of certainty that money would be available. And now we're not factoring it into our costs or our rate study. That's correct. I mean, we, we really haven't been factoring it in. I mean, we wanted to apply for the grant. I think you can see in scenario three that is actually very helpful to the rate payers. And we felt that it would be appropriate to apply for it for that reason. I mean, will we get it? I mean, we're very hopeful. It is competitive, but um, it, and actually applying for it if we are awarded it. We actually don't have to accept it, so it felt like it was kind of a, a, a no-lose. So that was the reason to apply for it. Okay. And so I've, I've done some analysis with some help. And I'm reflecting back on the previous meeting with council where council member McReynolds was repetitively asking everybody, what are the rates? What are the rates? And so is this the rate study? This is the initial blush at the rates. Um, as I mentioned, there are some other scenarios we'd like to take a look at to see what impacts those other things that we just talked about might have on rates. So this is kind of the high level first brush at rates, yes. And they're based on the scenarios on page five on the staff report. And then your slide presentation, which visually looks nice, but we just received it at, you know, when we walked in the door here. So I haven't had a real chance to digest it, but. So the, these two charts on rates are exactly what was in the staff report. Okay. And so I'm looking in the staff report on page seven of nine with the scenarios with you and scenario one. And I was able to validate the numbers. But here's, here's where I'm having some conflict about the rates and the rate study. We're looking at a compounding rate effect. Hold on to your chairs. In five years time in scenario one, of about 67%. Oh. And my backups. I'm sorry, from 2027 to 2031, about a 67% increase. From 2025 to 2031, about a 90% compounding increase. From 2027 to 2034, a 113% compounding mm -hmm. rate increase. And here's where it just gets wonderful. From 2025 to 2034, we're looking at 124% compounding rate increase. 
So this is actually the slide that has those numbers right. on it for you. I mean, how do you expect residents, consumers, businesses to absorb this? When we don't have a degree of certainty that your numbers hold up today. Because it's my opinion that these numbers aren't accurate from everything I've heard. And I, I'm having a hard time with that. So I, I think it might be um, a good idea to go back and look at the actual costs to ratepayers. You can go, you can. Can I do that? Okay. Thank you. We understand that these, this, this is a hard message. Um, the message is just not clear. That's the problem I'm having. But there's no degree of certainty with any of the numbers that you're sharing with us. They're all based on assumptions and the assumptions keep changing. I've never seen a business in my life that runs like this successfully. And the water department's a business. Um, Commissioner Amendola, if I if I may, um, the I think what staff is looking for on this item, um, if you have questions about the particular um, assumptions behind a number, um, and staff could come back with additional information, um, that would be helpful. And then, um, as Ms. Szymanski presented, there are different options of what the city um, can do in structuring its financing options and, their, and then the rates for how to fund these increases. And so what uh, Ms. Sumansky presented um, and worked with the whole team of um, Ventura Water staff, the finance department staff who's here, our rate consultant, our financial advisors, as well as our bond council um, to give these first look at some options of how um, the city could accommodate these increases. And so I think what staff is looking for um, is some initial um, feedback on the different options. They're not asking you to make any decisions tonight. Um, we would return in the new year, um, as Ms. Szymanski said, after there's um, we do more analysis and there's additional things to look into, but we wanted to get this information about potential rate impacts to you as soon as possible um, and to get some reactions about, you know, what does it look like if we exercise the different WIFIA options of deferred repayment? What does that look like? What does it look like if we reallocate the water-wastewater split for the um, cost allocation for the advanced water purification facility. Um, just re some reactions, and if there's anything else um, you would like us to explore. So I, I don't know if that helps, but I just wanted to frame kind of um, what staff is, uh, I think, looking for um, from the commission with this presentation. Thank you. Thank you. I just have a couple of follow-up sure. questions. Thank you. 
How did you obtain these numbers? So, So this slide does us a, a very high overview of how our latest um, cost projections were put together. Mm -hmm. um, they were based on actual bids. Um, so we have those, those are actual factual numbers that we have received, so those have been updated. Um, we have now um, from our designers cost estimates so they have been able to take um, and update what we had been using in the past. So these come from our consultants who are designing these different projects. And then finally, um, we did have our owner's advisor um, do some updates for us on projects that are not in design. Um, we went back to vendors to get some updated prices or we used um, prices from recently bid public works projects, um, particularly for wells and pipelines. Those are projects that um, we have just recently bid. These are based on actual bids that have been submitted to the city in response to RFPs? So the, the bids received for the outfall offshore and onshore are actual bids that were received from contractors. And then we used cost, you know, per linear foot or for, you know, for the wells for similar projects that we just received bids from. So, yes. Okay. And how much of these bids have you created your assumptions off of? And did you have help creating your assumptions? Or are these assumptions that you, your team, who put the assumptions together? Who validated the assumptions? So uh, my team, along with our owner's advisors, have put together these numbers. We've worked together um, using the information that we've had. Was Mr. Morley involved by chance? I'm sorry, no. I didn't hear what you say. Was Mr. Morley involved? No, they have not been involved in updating the cost for the projects, but they have been involved in the financing for the projects. Okay. So these numbers and the validation is autonomous to the water department, water pure department, not the CFO's office. That's correct. I mean, that, that's typically how that works, though. Yeah, Commissioner Amendola, the estimates for construction and design go through um, the engineering teams. Um, it would be Public Works. Um, since this was a large project, we had this as a Ventura Water Pier team with a group of engineers. Um, finance is not usually involved in the cost estimate, estimates of any project. And so, I, yeah, I'd like to add another comment to that. Um, as part of the grant funding, I mentioned that we need to do a feasibility study. And so there will be a peer review of these costs from someone who is independent. So we will be getting a report back from them, and it is part of the measuring stick that will be used for the, um, the grant program. So there will be an independent review of this. When does that happen? Um, we should have those numbers um, probably mid-end of January. And they're going to validate the numbers or something? 
Yeah, they, they are going to look at the costs that we've included in our application, which are basically these costs, and um, take an independent review of them. In addition to that, um, the WIFI loan that we already um, have been awarded, that went through the WIFI program, and so the validity and feasibility of the funding was tested against our financials. Are you at 60% or? They're each at different places. Um, the outfall um, offshore and onshore are both in construction. Um, the outfall pump station is at 90% design. Um, the membrane bioreactor is at 30% design. And the advanced water purification, we are ready to award design. And how much in funding approximately overall has been spent already? That's a great question, and I would have to get back to you on that number. I just don't know that off the top of my head. And last I recall, it was a city council long-term <coughs> goal to have the Ventura Water Pier project, and that was adopted, was it in 21 or 22? That's correct. It is no longer on the council um, goals, but it was for several years. Okay, so it, it's no longer. It, it's it's an ongoing goal. It just okay. wasn't part of the new goals for the the year. Um, it's an ongoing goal. We still report to city council. Um, it was uh, set as a priority, and once the um, project. Uh, team for Ventura Water Pier was awarded, and we had um, design contractors moving. Um, they made room for additional goals throughout the city. Okay, that's okay. And then, as part of the design, are you guys continuously still looking in areas of where to trim down on what is necessary? I, I would assume so, but. Yes, absolutely. Um, as we're going through, we are trying to look for those opportunities. Um, you know, for the outfall pump station, um, we've identified some um, operations that we can probably use instead of actually building a new pipeline. We've, we've figured out some ways to route water throughout the plant, which will save us, you know, some money in building, you know, a, a pipeline at the plant. Um, you know, I think we mentioned for the advanced water purification plant that there were a number of nice-to-haves that we would, you know, if we had all the money in the world, would love to be a fabulous public-facing, you know, facility. And I think we can still be that public-facing facility, just not necessarily with all the bells and whistles. So we are, as we go into design for the advanced water purification plant, we definitely have that in mind. And then um, we do have the contractor um, on a pre-construction contract right now working with us um, on the design of the membrane bioreactor. And so they are able to offer us some insights and some cost-saving measures. And we'll continue to do val um, value engineering with them <coughs> as we move through. And then um, I would also assume that you guys are still continuously looking for grant opportunities and one thing that I personally appreciated coming from a finance background was that you did not assume that the grants 
within your rate study because that's not guaranteed funding. Um, and with that, it seems like the project's not going to be completed before your rate study's done. And I know with the Prop 218, and it sets your limit at what your rate increase can be. Has there ever been a time in Ventura Water History where you did not adopt that cap of, or that threshold for the highest percentage? And so let's say you do get a grant and you realize that you don't need to implement that 20% rate increase that year and maybe you only need to do a 10% instead because mm -hmm. you had other funding opportunities available. Is that an option for the ratepayers or something mm -hmm. to consider? Yeah, Mr. Hogan, I don't know if you want to take that the history lesson on that one. Um, sure, and I'm sure uh, Commissioner Mulligan could answer <laughs> it as well. That's right. Um, so that was part of the, the whole idea behind yeah. the annual rate check-in that is currently taking place. So um, the Water Commission was willing to recommend the, the current um, increases that were in, um, subject to staff returning each year to confirm that the 7% increase for water and the 6% increase for wastewater um, is in fact necessary. And that is a, a task that staff does anyway, um, but it's good to do it with the Water Commission and for the public to see as well. So that would be the same case during the next rate period. Um, we would only uh, implement increases as they were actually necessary in the subsequent year. Okay, great. I just haven't been around for that, so I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> um, let me see here. Um, and I did start off the right way. I just want to say thank you so much for the presentation and for the staff report. Um, it's a very complex matter, and I thought you did a really tremendous job of breaking it down and, and doing a great job of uh, making it so easy to digest, both you and Miles, for everything that you did. So, well, thank you. There's a lot of people in this room who contributed, so thank you to them also. Okay, Susan? Yes, I'd like to start off by echoing that as well. I think you did an excellent job explaining what legal and regulatory requirements are driving this project and um, why this is the project out of all of the alternatives that is best from a cost standpoint um, and from meeting various other goals standpoint. I think looking at the costs, I think you are underestimating how much it would cost for Oxnard to treat the water. I don't think Oxnard is likely to give Ventura a break on infrastructure they may have built themselves. And you will not have the control of costs that you would building it yourself. So I think that you have underestimated the Oxnard alternative. Um, I think you also did a good job last time explaining why the costs went up. I've done capital project construction, water infrastructure for over 30 years. As time goes by, the ENR increases and costs go up and you have to keep going back and saying that the costs went up. You also, as you get into design, when you're visualizing a project, you think of the things you need in it, but when you get into design, you see the details of things that you need in that project that you, you just didn't see the first time. Um, and we could all have cheated and said it was 50% more in the first place, 
but we try to do the estimates as well as we can as we go along. So uh, I think you have explained the reasons for the increases. And that's all unfortunate because it means that we have a lot bigger rate increases than we planned, but I think this is the, and I guess I would say one more thing about water supply. You also did a good job justifying it from a water supply standpoint, but I think you may be being optimistic about whether the Ventura River and Casitas water supplies are gonna stay at the levels that they are now. I think there's a risk that they will be reduced, um, a pretty substantial risk. And same with the state project, and all of those are for habitat reasons. So, um, project needs to be done. Um, so it comes to how do we deal with that with the rates. And I have a few questions along those lines and then a few comments about the things I think of your ideas for mitigating the rate impacts, the ones that I thought were the best mm -hmm. ones. Um, one is what assumptions are included in the rate analysis for the timing of phase two? I'm sorry for the timing. The timing of, of water pure phase two. When did you assume that that would be built? So I think we are assuming that we will start design, and I'll have to confirm this for you, um, but we were starting design, I believe, in 29 with completion in 32. And we are using um, indirect potable reuse in that, um, in the model. Okay. Miles, do you have a sense from a legal perspective of what might be the implications of deferring phase two? We have to do estuary studies. Would those for sure take three years? Is there reason to believe they'd take five or 10 years? Um, yes, so we, we need to uh, do at <coughs> least three years of study um, following the diversion. Uh, so ideally, the diversion will start uh, around October 1st, 2025, the beginning of a water year, mm -hmm. um, and we'd have three years of analysis and then um, analyze the results and be able to then get approval, um, confirmation from the regulatory agencies uh, to move forward with phase 1B. Um, but that... That could take some time. Uh, that could take some time. I'd look um, carefully about at that timing because that could have a big impact. It's a big cost out there. Um, yes, and the issue there is we're balanced between um, the obligations of the consent decree mm -hmm. where Wish Toyo and Hilda Bay um, and the assumptions are implement phase 1B as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. um, whereas um, the regulatory agencies like the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, they want to be certain uh, before we move forward with that final diversion amount. So we can look at that and it may even um, require having that discussion of which Toil and Hilda Bay of, um, you know, we're going to move it a little bit in the rate model um, for now, um, subject to continued discussions. That, that could be something we uh, discuss with them. That might be worth doing. It might have, I, I don't know how big an impact it would have, but it's a big cost and it might have a big impact. Um, okay. Um, I, I feel like I'm just beating a drum and I don't get anywhere, but what level of staffing was assumed for O&M? 
So we have not changed our assumptions for that. It is 16 FTEs. And, and maybe you should consider contracting out because that WRD contracted out. Their plant's bigger. They have eight people. Um, I, I think you know, employees cost year after year after year, and they have an impact on rates. And I think it's time to stop kicking that can down the road and look hard at, at why they can do it with eight and you need 16. Um, you know, eight people could be a million dollars a year. So we have not um, adjusted that based on um, what the regulations were going to change for in how we were going to need to staff the plant once we went into design. Mm -hmm. So not knowing what, what equipment and how the operations of the plant and the technology specifically we're going to design for, mm -hmm. um, we are modeling it after what we staff our current facilities for. Um, and that's um, the categories in which we have in the city. So the utility mechanics, the operators, they're not positions that can be combined due to their representation. Um, so we staffed according to how we staff our facilities now. Would that staff not reasonably be shared with the wastewater plant so that you don't need all two electricians, you could have share them with the wastewater plant? We would not share a drinking water facility with a wastewater facility. Well, that's a good reason to consider contracting out the staff. Uh, if it could be done that way, more efficiently, I think it should be. Um, and, and we can evaluate that, then the pros and cons of, of contracting out and, and long term. Camarillo did it. WRD did it. If you're so constrained at what your staff can do as far as work goes, hiring new ones that are constrained by those same rules is a big cost to the customers. Okay. We'll so. evaluate that. Um, it seems like there should be able to be some flexibility. Create new positions. Figure something out. Um, Okay, and I believe that's all I have. Thank you. Okay, could I ask a follow-up just quickly from Committee Member Mulligan's question regarding the phase two? That is something that will be forthcoming in 2029, but it's not factored into the rate study that's in front of us tonight, or is it? It actually is factored in, yes. How so, please? Um, those costs are part of the rate model. Um, so they are taken into account um, for the time frames where those costs would actually be hitting. So, I mean, while those costs um, probably won't start until 2029 um, and are they will be in with, within the time frame of our next five years. So we do have those numbers in there and they are accounted for. Okay, here's why I'm a little confused. Because if I go back to the staff report of page five of nine, mm -hmm. it says project costs, VWP phase 1A. And I'm assuming there's a phase one, there's a phase two, there's. You know, ABC, when do we move to phase two? 
Yeah. So that's correct. Um, right now, the costs that we are showing and that we are working on and trying to finance are for phase 1A, which as Mr. Hogan put it, is um, where we are leaving some water going back to the estuary. We do have costs in there for phase 1B. Um, again, that would be um, once, once we start our diversions, um, we need to do a set number of years um, looking at the impact to the estuary. Um, then we need to negotiate with the various agencies to move forward with 1B. Um, the timing is assumed at this point, um, and that we've built the numbers in probably the quickest time frame um, to be able to accomplish all that. Okay. And I appreciate that answer, but that's a little bit in conflict to what I've read in the staff report, whereas the staff report says phase 1A only, and the total dollar amount, if I have this right, is $556.9 million of capital. It doesn't make any other references to phase 1B or any subsequent phases of 1, and there's no reference to phase 2. And the dollar amount for phase 1A is listed to $556 million. That's correct. Okay, so how much more is this going to cost the ratepayers in addition to the $556 million? Right now, phase 1B is projected, I believe, at about $38 million. That's correct, but it is, as I mentioned, um, still. It still is, you know, there still is not the, you know, we are not positively moving forward. There are things that need to fall into place for that. So we've built in those costs to the rate model. On phase 1A. And 1B. And where is 1B? We, we are not looking at the... Um, cost for phase 1B right now. It is in the model, but right now we're looking to finance phase 1A and move forward with that. How do you see that model with all the costs built in other than the summary that we're being provided? I mean, we, we're, we'd be happy to sit down with you and show you where the costs are plugged in. Com Commissioner Amendola, um, so the, the chart that is in the staff report is just phase 1A and MBR, but as right. Ms. Sumansky said, there's an additional cost for phase 1B, approximately $38 million. That is included in the rate model so that you get a complete financial picture mm -hmm. of the potential rate impacts um, uh, from the whole program. And then let me clarify for phase two, so the phasing was set up in the environmental impact report back in 2019. And so phase 1B is when we would redu reduce to the continued discharge level of zero to 0.5 million gallons per day. Um, the EIR then explored if um, the city still needs additional water after that, it would explore um, several options at that time. So one was desalination, um, switching to a zero um, discharge, and so we um, would divert everything. But there's no additional cost for Ventura Water Pier under that situation because the plant would be fully built out to accommodate 
um, the zero discharge scenario. So, um, and at this point, I think staff from the numbers, it doesn't appear based on the amount of water that Ventura Water Pier would generate that we, the city would need to pursue other options senses, such as desalination or other water supply options. Um, but that's something that um, the city will need to reevaluate um, once we get to the um, final uh, discharge level. But that, will, that won't be until you know, 2029, 2030. So can you bring up the slide that shows the compounding rate impact percentage? I think it's in a backup slide. It so is. you'll yeah, you'll need to pull up the uh yep. the other slide deck, right? Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. Yes, that's the one. Okay, so when I looked at this, and again following up from Commissioner Mulligan's comments and questions, I look at this as just phase one A according to the staff report. But that's not what I'm hearing now, orally. Is that correct? So we have incorporated the costs um, in the rate model for phase 1A and for phase 1B um, to be able to project rates. Um, what we're attempting to finance right now in, and to be able to construct is just phase 1A. And the 142.8% in 2031, is that phase 1A only or phase 1B in addition and phase 2? So it is phase, in the rate model, we are using phase 1A and costs for phase 1A, the cost, the 556. We're using the, the cost for phase 1B, which is the... $38 million, don't quote me on that one, I should know it, but right now I'm drawing a blank. But, um, and there is no, phase, uh, no, is no phase after that, but all of those numbers are in here. Okay. I have a clarification question. This rate model includes all of your capital improvement programs that are scheduled within this time period, <laughs> all of your escalation costs for operations and maintenance yes. everything that's in, happening during this time period that Not is correct that's correct okay okay i have one follow-up question sure. do you know, I, I have one question about the sharing of staff between the plants in your 16 staff you've got six operators i completely understand why those would be need to be drinking water only but you've got maintenance staff, SCADA, an instrumentation tech, electrician, a secretary, a management analyst, two mechanics, and a maintenance worker. Why could those people, why do those people need to be dedicated to the plant? Why could they not be shared? Uh, so they're currently not shared um, with water and wastewater. Water and wastewater have those categories in them, um, and they handle the wastewater accounts, they handle the water accounts. There is a workload enough for those full-time equivalents for those. Um, and advanced purification, we felt, would run as its own facility as well. Mm -hmm. 
But so we, you know, a secretary for a plant that produces that amount of water is really kind of surprising. It's it's the it's the business of of the transactions and the internet invoices and you know coordinating the management activities. Um, we have not gone into a full delve because we do not have we don't know what we are designing for what the requirements of the state are going to be and I've been waiting and anticipating okay. because the certification levels and what oversight will need to be there is dependent upon what they're going to ask us to have for a critical control point. Okay. I'm done. I don't have a lot of comment. I second a lot of what Commissioner Mulligan has said. But you had a slide that just popped up and it showed the team. Uh, can I see that, please? Yeah. Sure. You actually have this as a handout, also. Oh, my gosh. So I, I guess I wanted to address this because it was a question of staff, did you do all this and where did you figure it out? Uh, I just want to highlight that the consultants you have supporting you have done this all over the world especially in the country and here in the United States. So I'm, I guess I'm comfortable. I know they've gone back and worked on this. I actually know when people did it. Um, so I'm familiar with all these people that are working on this. And I, I tell you that I'm sure your estimates are as good as they can be. I know you cannot have perfect foresight. I've never been able to have it on my projects. I don't think you can either, but I appreciate the effort and the projections. And I'm sure these people all of them have the capability to do the best they can because they do it all over. So I guess I want to highlight that I th I'm, I'm not uncomfortable with the cost. Everything can be worked on and improved as you go along, and I'm sure you'll do the best you can. So I don't, I don't have a lot of heartache. I would admit I don't like to see rates go up that high, but you come if you come up with the most cost-effective project that meets the legal, regulatory, institutional, and all the other constraints. The rates for me as low as they can be because you've done the best you can with the project. Mm -hmm. So that sort of sets the stage for this. Uh, we have things we have to do as a city. We affected the environment of the estuary and we have to clean our room. All of us are part of that. It's not the city. It's us who've been part of, we flushed our toilets, we drained our sinks. So we need to take, accept the responsibility to clean our room. And along with that, it, where the benefits that come out of this for water supply. I concur about the water. I think our water supply issues are not as good as any urban water management plan would say because they are never, they're always too positive. But I think the groundwater basins with the groundwater sustainability plans that are going on, the legal ramifications, who can use the water. I know there's a groundwater surface water model being done up on, on the uh, river, which may affect how much release has to be done from the reservoir up there or how much you can even take. So we have a lot of risk. We need a water supply this year 100% of the time. And you don't get that very often. State water project, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with the supplies you have, but you're gonna need to have all these aspects. So I guess I don't have a lot of heartache on that. As far as the grant application, full disclosure, I've been doing those for 20 some odd years now. Um, this is the program you're looking at, looking at other places. The good news is the infrastructure bill that was passed by this administration has put a lot of money into this. I look at it all the time. I see it. I've shared some of the information with others that I look at with the lobbying firms we're putting up. It's a good chance. So I, I wish you the best, but uh, I don't think any of my clients are opposing at this particular time. They did maybe in the past. 
but I think you have good people writing the grant applications. Um, they are they are an art as well as a science on how you tell the story, and I think you have good people doing it. So I, I guess I'm, I'm not happy to have rates, but I understand why we have to be where we are. We, and this is true with every agency right now. Everybody's going through these same constraints that are coming up. So I, I guess I'm not uncomfortable, just not happy, <laughs> but that's the way it is. I paid my bill, I took out all my lawns when I moved in, um, and um, I think it's important for everybody to look at the same thing, to do the best you can, so no matter how you use your water. So that's all I have. Okay, thank you. Jim? Okay, very well said, thank you. Uh, great presentation, Linda, the staff report was also very good. Um, I do have a timeline from back in October 19th, 2022, years back, and uh, uh, phase 1A was uh, to be completed by 2027, and the final design for Phase 1B was to begin uh, 2028 and completion in 2032, excuse me. So anyway, that's just a step back, and Phase 1A is, was originally uh, $213 million and Phase 1B was $77.3 million. Mm -hmm. But that's just a step back in time, now we're moving forward. Um, I think the presentation that you did to the City Council was very good uh, about uh, this new grant process and, and why you did the slide program. And the one slide I don't see very often was the original slide uh, that we had uh, when we got the presentation about this <coughs> new MBR UV system and how it was going to be a lot more expensive up front, but to maintain it and run it and operate it through the years, much more dependable and much more complementary to advanced water purification. And I think that's a good thing to bring up just about every time people start talking about how much it costs. Well, really downstream, we're not going to be replacing the secondary and tertiary uh, uh, settling ponds uh, every eight years for X amount of dollars. That will be wiped off. That will be gone. Now, my question is, um, this uh, has to be uh, removed, the basins have to be removed, correct? At, on, on the property at uh, Water Reclamation. What, what will be done with that property? I understand there's going to be a lot more property once we go to MBR and we get uh, Reclamation kind of squared away. So we're actually, the, where the secondary treatment is right now, um, we'll take those basins down and we're going to build right back there with some other tanks. Okay. So they will be built back. So That's correct. my hope was maybe there's a more property that we're going to have uh, for something else possibly for city use or maybe a small source of revenue. It's not happening. Okay, very no, good. Sorry. Uh, let me see. One thing I really liked about the staff report, uh, page 8 and 9, was the option for payment uh, arrangements, a low-income customer assistance program with the state funding. I don't like these rates, but I can certainly afford them. And I think the way that he put it, we kind of messed up our backyard, now it's time to clean it up. I'm just happy to see that the people who cannot afford it, like most of us here tonight, are going to get some assistance to really make that, uh, uh, so they can actually live in this, continue living in the city of Ventura. So that's my biggest concern, is the people who can't afford it, and you see those extreme rates, I'm okay. Like he said, it's not the best thing in the world. I don't want to pay more, but 
I can certainly afford it, and I think this is going to uh, secure our water supply, and it's been said a million times, uh, for a very, very long time to come. Not today, not next week, you know, waiting on rain. Is it going to rain? Worried about that all the time. We need to establish our own water supply, and we talk about the various um, places we get our water and the limited resource and become more limited. Uh, we got to make the investment. It sounds crazy, and I know I'm a madman, but that's just the way it is. We just have to take care of business. Thank you. I'd like to start off with saying that the between the staff report and the letter that we received from the attorney on their opinion certainly laid the process out that um, we're committed to and whereabouts we seem to be going. I did not see any uh, real viable options other than what was laid out in your staff report to us. So if that was certainly the goal, mission accomplished. Um, I did have a question though uh, with your slide presentation tonight it had to do with slide number nine. As I was keeping track there, go back up. A little bit more. Keep going. Going, keep going. Stop there. Up one. This was the first time I'd heard this, and it caught my ear. And you reiterated it multiple times through your presentation. Uh, actually, you put it as a requirement, a future requirement to improve water quality. And you mentioned TDS, mm -hmm. and there were some other constituents also. Um, mm -hmm. Please expand upon that because, uh, again, this is the first I've heard that one on that. Uh, Ms. Dorrington, did you want to take that one or do you want me to take that one? I may need your backup on the, the levels, um, which are secondary. And, um, so this is actually in the EIR. Um, it was one of the objectives is to improve water quality. So um, in our groundwater basins, um, and with the quality of effluent that we meet, the secondary standard um, for TDS and sulfate um, by the Division of Drinking Water, um, I, it's there a thousand milligrams is the high limit milligrams per liter, um, and then there's a lower tier. It's like 800 and 500. So um, we do not meet the thousand. Um, and in our discussions, every um, sanitary survey that we do with the Division of Drinking Water, they bring it up as our water quality is not meeting those secondary standards. Um, we have been discussing with them throughout the process of, of alternatives for bringing in new water supply, um, both with the State Water Project and with Ventura Water Pier, that we are aiming to meet the lower levels of, you know, get within that secondary standard with DDW. So they have not pushed upon us regulations to do so. Um, but it's there um, and it's always noted. And for our customers, it's difficult to have such high hardness water delivered to the home. They're having to spend um, a lot on water softening units. Um, so this is also an objective to help you know, them at their home um, receive a better quality water. It's not that it's not safe to drink, but over time it does create a hardship on the customer. 
and their appliances, and DDW would like us to see improve, the improvement in that. Thank you for that answer. Um, I have extreme difficulty with that. Um, as someone that lives on the east side, I will be the first to tell you I have a water softener, I have an earth sink RO. I'm familiar with the water that's there, also part of my career. Um, while I love it as a goal, I don't think it should be a driver. It certainly is not a requirement. That secondary standard is a goal to meet. And there are dozens of water districts that don't meet that secondary standard, um, especially for TDS, as very common in this Ventura County area. <coughs> I, I have a large discomfort with that being a placed as a requirement and as driving a project or as adding cost. If there's a way we can get there that somehow something else blends into it and great. But in order to say that we're going to possibly have a piece of infrastructure or capital equipment that is specifically going for that, I, I'm a hard no on that one. I'm a hard no on that one. And so uh, as far as that goes, um, and I'll throw that out there for anyone else to jump on and maybe I'm the oddball here. A uh, question I have, you have your design team that was up there for the members of Water Pure. My, my question along that is, are we, are all of the projects with Water Pure and this in particular that we're listening to tonight following the standard um, design bid build or have we entered with any agreements with someone to design build and they <coughs> do the contract ops or the operators of it? So the uh, membrane UV project is construction manager at risk or CMAR. So it, it kind of blends the design bid build and progressive design build together. The city keeps the, um, the ability to really participate in the design with that, but we brought the contractor on early so that they are involved as we move through. And then um, from that, they are able to do value engineering for us and we are able to get a price on the project sooner. Um, they'll, they'll price it at the end of the 60% rather than waiting to go out to bid at 100%. So we are using that for the MBR and we do plan to use that for the advanced water purification plant. Um, both complex projects that we thought would benefit from that. Um, some of the more straightforward projects like the pipeline projects, um, the well projects, we are doing those design bid build. That's good to hear because the size of this has um, raised concern with me that we need to bring someone on board that would have ownership in it in order to also give us some protection against change orders. Uh, the complexity of this now and the size of this project is um, well growing and, and now fits that criteria. I also I would like to piggyback with what Susan said about the possibility of a contract ops and um, whoever that designer is that we would partner with that they have that they staff it with their staff for the first 
year anyways to debug it, which is going to be necessary given the complexity of it, but a future period of time also contract ops um, over our uh, staffing of it also as a way to um, understand that cost and have that reined in. Um, someone that designs it and has to run it will have uh, a lot more ownership in it as to who they put in there and um, what would be the accurate staffing levels necessary. So I, I agree with her on that one and would support that also. Count on the third agreement. Um, okay, so uh, each one of us commissioners now have had a chance to talk. Um, was there any questions, any follow-up statements uh, before? Yes, please. So I'd like to hand this out. This is something I hand out at the council meeting on November 13th. And I'd just like to pass it down for everybody to take one and take a look at it. Because now, hold on, hold on. What's our rules under the Brown Act for being able to take a look at paperwork passed around, uh, not made available to everyone in the public? Yeah. Um, Commissioner Amendola, do you have copies available that could be placed on the copies. on yes. the welcome table? Um, I I I I think in the, this instance it's okay, um, okay. but I'll I'll check the rule for next time and and confirm. Okay. I did make this inquiry before we started the meeting. Oh, cool. Fine. It's a great. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, because I don't want to have a Brown Act violation. Yeah, I just set off an alarm in my head here. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> danger, <laughs> danger. Yeah. Back up. <laughs> okay, so. Thank you, sir. Reference that for a moment. Thank you. And so on November 13th, I, I spoke about the definition, as I see it, about sustainability. Because this is a conversation about sustainability for a city. And it affects not just the water department, the water bureau, the water staffing. And as I read this, this is one of the best definitions that we could find. Sustainability consists of fulfilling the needs of the current generations without compromising the needs of future generations while ensuring a balance between economic growth environmental care and social well-being and i'd like to just break that down for a moment if i can because while we look at these projects and one person's ability to pay for it it, it, it and with a rate that may be acceptable to one person we're looking at a generational multi-generational impact on the city of ventura and what we're deciding here we're dealing with 60, 100 years out that these projects are going to be paid for. And it's pretty significant. And that has, I think, a huge social impact. It, it affects a lot of people in District 1. It affects, affects a lot of lower income people, but it also affects the middle class. And it also affects our businesses. And our businesses convert now to economic sustainability. The city of Ventura has a tremendous effort taking place with um, breweries. And you know, so just by that example and growth in hotels, growth in tourism, growth in restaurants, growth in residential development. And I'm wondering how the economic sustainability 
of what we're looking at this evening will manifest into those areas. And then we have the political aspect of this, and I'm going to leave the political aspect of this on the sidelines because I'm not a politician, and I don't intend to be a politician. But let's talk about the environmental for a moment, and this is where it may get a little political. So I think we have had a lot of good organizations in years back see that damage was done. And whatever those donors, <coughs> whatever the reasons why they decided to support Surfrider, Wishtoyo, and those efforts, I think there were a lot, of, a lot of good people that put their money to try to make an impact for change 30 years ago. But now we're dealing with that advocacy is having a huge effect on our current ability to pay for that advocacy. And this is where I think we're going to pivot a little bit to some questions with Mr. Hogan. Um, I, I don't think, based on the original consent decree in 2012, at $55 million estimate to comply with that, and having a 10 times multiplier effect is probably what some of these organizations envisioned happening to the ratepayers of the city of Ventura. And while I can appreciate that we have a memorandum, I don't know if it's an opinion, it's a memorandum of the worst case scenario, I don't imagine that this confirmation bias that we've seen throughout tonight's report of water pure is the best way to go, and this is what the lawyers say too, is what the Wishtoyo had envisioned happening to the city of Ventura. I just can't imagine that that would be the case. And so based on the technical merits of the meet and confer, and the financial merits of the meet and confer. I'd like to delve into this a little bit more. And uh, if we can maybe transition to Mr. Hogan. I know, you, I know you do a lot of work, a lot of great work, and I know that um, you, know, you went out to an environmental legal agency to kind of paint the picture. But I'm not necessarily sure there's been a real legal cost basis put together from what I've read. And so I guess my questions are, if we were to challenge the consent decree and ask for some extensions, what would that look like? And how much will it cost the city to do that, put together a legal case study to factor into this analysis of what council will be looking at in a few weeks? What specific legal arguments and precedents support the city's position in challenging the consent decree? Have legal experts conducted a thorough analysis of the city's legal standing, potential claims, and the likelihood of success? What is the comprehensive breakdown of the current and projected financial impacts complying with the consent decree versus pursuing legal action? And can we provide detailed cost-benefit analysis that accounts for legal fees, 
potential penalties, funding sources, and long-term financial risk. And so these are some questions that I have about the Newsom and Memorandum. It, to me, it's, it covers a lot, but it doesn't cover a lot of detail for a financial decision-making risk analysis. And so I'm struggling with this. So I put my cards on the table. Got it. And I'd like to uh, see if we can pursue some of these conversations. Um, thank you, Commissioner Amendola. Um, if you could provide me some of those questions. Um, I, um, I don't think we would prepare a comprehensive analysis that would cost money and time in order to do that. Um, and some of these, if you know, we were to seriously explore those options, that's something that would be discussed in closed session with city council and not in a public forum. Um, but the, uh, uh, because we are um, subject to a federal consent decree and um, there are certain things, obviously we asked Nosman to provide this memorandum to answer some of the questions from the last meeting. Um, it was not intended to be a comprehensive analysis of the pros um, and cons. Um, and again, that's something that would likely be done um, in closed session with city council if city council wanted to pursue that. Um, but I think the general conclusions and recommendation from outside council as well as the city attorney's office is that Ventura Water Pier and this approach is the best um, legal path forward when you consider all the factors. <laughs> Thank you for that answer. I can respect and appreciate that, especially referring it to council and closed session. And I'll be happy to send you my comments and list of questions. Thank you. I have one quick comment. There was one thing I forgot to say. You talked about the um, paths forward. There were two of the ideas that I particularly thought should be looked at. Um, I think whatever other projects you might be able to defer a few years um, certainly is worth looking at. And I think we should seriously consider increasing rates in 2026. Because the earlier you increase rates, the lower the impacts later. Um, because it compounds. Um, and you, it'd be better not to have the rate shock in those two years. So I think uh, project deferral and in increasing the rates in 2026 should be seriously looked at. That's it. Thank you. That's the slide that I don't have, it's so okay. I can't put it up. I was, I was going to go back to the same comment and go and also kind of jump ahead a little bit and go with, um, are we anticipating Ventura Water Pier to be part of the CIP workshop in February, like as a total as the total cost, where it goes on the timeline, and what to anticipate in line with all the other CIPs? Yes, okay. we're, we're going to have full the full package of what we're going to defer um, and what Ventura Water Impacts will be in the CIP. Okay. We're working on that right now. But I, I agree with Susan's comments as well. Okay. Last chance. Okay. So. One, one quick question. Uh, with the um, interconnect, state interconnect uh, on our heels, what is our budget going to look like on top of the budget we're looking at tonight? <coughs> and how will we be affected? We lost one of our co-members, Casitas, 
in that deal. So are we going to have another discussion about that eventually? And uh, what's the future look like with the budget you showed us tonight? And rates really is what it comes down to. Yeah, so we just completed um, the CIP for the non-Ventura Water Pure projects and Ventura Water Pure. So those numbers will be updated when we come to you in the new year. So all of that will be added in. So Thank you. Okay. Um, with that, this is a receive and file. Um, my final comment is as well, thank you for laying it out and giving us what the um, interpretation is uh, between you and the city's attorney's office and the outside council and then the projections for future rate increases and all that. Um, we received it. Unfortunately, don't have the ability to endorse it or um, agree with it because of a lack of information. So there you go. Thank you. Chairman Arango. Yes. With regard to receive and file, one of my observations over the years is when staff presents a receive and file, and there's no motion making. It's pretty hard <coughs> to go forward and okay for staff to perceive status quo based on their presentations. And I'm not saying that we should do anything different than what you said just now. But one of the reasons why we're in this position today is because everybody's kicked the can on receiving the file. And council's gonna be faced with some significant decisions. I don't want to be in their shoes. And I appreciate exactly what you're saying, but currently these are the marching orders in which we've, and staff has received from city council as to how far we are to go. We're at the end of our leash. I appreciate that. So if uh, council wants us to dig deeper, then give us some marching orders. But right now, I can only do what we're allowed to do. I understand. And so it's, it's really up to council not the Water Commission. Uh, council or staff or someone in order to provide direction back for what our homework assignment is and how deep do we go. Okay. And it's my understanding that council is very, very concerned, let me emphasize very, about the rate impacts to the rate payers because they don't know what the rates are. And I don't know with any degree of certainty after I've looked at this report, what the rates will be. Understood. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to general manager's report, tentative schedule. All right, well, thank you, um, commissioners. We do need to set the schedule um, for uh, next year, starting in uh, January of 2024. I did mention last um, meeting that we, the uh, City Council has moved their meetings to Tuesday, which takes up our slot. Um, so we have to move to every fourth Monday um, of the uh, month. Um, we did um, try to incorporate some workshops that we know we can plan for now um, at the request of the commission. Um, try to pace that with what's due, um, what what our different departments need to take to council. So the, the CIP workshop um, kind of flows into, um, you know, how when we start doing the budget, we have a budget and rates workshop that will um, 
you know, we're gonna have we're gonna come in with rates a couple times um, to just set the groundwork. Um, we did. Um, we do have July as dark, um, and that's also to, to align with council's changes. Typically, they go dark um, uh, August, uh, a, a gap between August and September, um, and that was according to vacation schedules, and those have changed over the years. Um, now, vaca summer vacations have changed, so uh, council wanted to be um, uh, cognizant of that and so we are um, kind of aligning with that in July going dark but we are returning in August um, we have historically gone dark uh, July and August but we wanted to allow more time we talked about workshops so we we um, thought just leaving one month dark and coming back and then December typically falls on um, when the city is in a, a sh winter shutdown and um, so We've, we we are trying to keep that dark, but um, as we know from this past year, things evolve. We we need to adjust and cancel, cancel or move, so um, there is always flexibility in this, but this is just the tentative schedule, um, really setting those dates. Um, what dates in 2024? Um, we'll need to have a quorum. So if okay. there's any comment or movement to... Do we need to take action? No, I was just moving a set my calendar. We do need to approve it. Yes, you do need to um, approve this item. This is setting the regular um, meeting schedule for next year, as well as the time of the meetings, um, and then those two workshop dates. So the recommendation is that the Water Commission adopt a 2024 regular meeting schedule to meet the fourth Monday of every month at 5.30 p.m. along with two workshops as requested by the commission except that there will be no regular meetings in the months of July and December. I'll entertain a motion to accept. I approve, or I move for the recommended action. Okay. Second. Second. Question. So we're looking to approve 2024 and there are references to 2023 as far as minutes, but there's no more meetings for the rest of the year, is that correct? Correct. That is correct. Okay. And the first meeting will be held on January 22nd, is that correct? If this, is, if this motion approves. Okay. We spoke about the ability to have hybrid meetings potentially, but the, the venue here in this room is not available hybrid meetings. What other rooms are available to have hybrid meetings? Because it's actually part of California law now that we have the ability to have public meetings hybrid. The only room that's available for hybrid meetings is council chambers. Um, and in speaking with the city clerk's office, that is only for the, um, I'm trying to remember the phrasing he used, but the legislative body, so city council, anyone that's making those kind of decisions. So the Muni code that we have and we operate under is not part of a legislative body like Planning Commission? Yeah, so the, the hearing bodies, um, the only other entities besides City Council that meet there are Planning Commission and the director's hearing, um, the actual final uh, hearing decision-making bodies. Okay. okay, there's a good chance I'll be absent on the 22nd, but otherwise I'm good with the rest of the schedule. I do have one comment. I think that the fourth Monday in April is the 22nd. 
not the 29th. I was putting this on my calendar and I noticed that. Somebody can check me, but I believe April 22nd is the fourth Monday. And that could have been done be giving you two weeks between the workshop and the meeting. So we may want to note that in whatever the motion is because it's not the fourth Monday. That's important. I don't object to it, but. Okay. Okay, we will note that. Okay. That's the intent then, 429? To give you some space, okay. or everyone some space. <laughs> Commissioner Amendola? Yes. Commissioner Arnbrister? Aye. Commissioner Mulligan? Yes. Commissioner Savage? Yes. Vice Chair Ackerman? Yes. Chair Ronio? Yes. And the motion passes with six ayes. Okay, and on to uh, general manager's report. All right. Um, well, thank you for a good evening and very um, thoughtful conversation. Um, I did want to give you a couple um, updates, um, particularly on staff. Um, we've had several promotions <coughs> um, this uh, past month. Um, Jennifer Trebo, who is our um, uh, manager of water resources, has been promoted to our assistant general manager of water resources. <laughs> um, we, we're grateful for Jenny. Sorry, Jenny. Um, Kelly Prather um, in the Ventura Water Pure program has been promoted to management analyst two. And Amanda DeLeon um, has been promoted to management analyst one. She will be um, focusing on budget and tracking of with our finance department. Um, so we will probably not see her as much up here in our technical run, but we, she has been training staff um, and we'll be preparing for that. The city is currently in recruitment for a public works director, an assistant city manager, a parks and recreation director, and a community development director. So there are a lot of vacancies um, in higher management, and the city is looking to um, fill those vacancies um, in the first quarter of the year. Uh, city council items, um, thank you to um, those who um, attended the city council meeting on November 13th. Uh, we did give an update to Council on Ventura Water Pure, and we were um, given the go-ahead to apply for um, some additional grant funding. And um, it was a very long evening, so thank you all for uh, tuning in and sitting through. December 4th, the City Council will hear the Casitas Memorandum of Agreement. Um, that is to align with um, Casitas's um, adoption of rates and, and approval of the agreement on December 13th. And on December 18th, City Council will receive an update on Ventura Water Pure, the presentation that you received this evening, um, and consider the owner-controlled insurance program broker and amendments to existing Ventura Water Pure contracts. So that will be going on December 18th, and then um, the City Council will um, be out for the rest of the year. Um, uh, to follow up on Stephen's outreach presentation, uh, Ventura Water collaborated with the Pierpont Community Council and the Rotary Club for the community trash cleanup at Marina Park on November 10th. Um, and Ventura Water participated in World Toilet Day um, held at the Ventura Community College Water Science Department on Sunday, November 19th. 
Um, and uh, the Autobahn Society has announced they will be holding a special vent, uh, visit to the reclamation facility ponds on December 9th, and staff will be on hand to um, answer any questions. We've uh, been in discussions with Autobahn um, just to um, make sure that they're aware that the ponds are there and there's not a, um, there's no decision to change the way the ponds are now. Um, and Thursday night, uh, the Ventura College Water Science students will be taking their final at the Ventura Water Reclamation Facility. Um, they will be giving the tour to our um, wastewater utility manager, and he will be asking them questions, and they will be discussing the process. Um, so we thought that was a, a, a unique way to um, uh, teach and perhaps recruit. Um, the next water commission meetings, um, so we just adopted our schedule. Um, the city is closed um, between uh, Christmas and New Year's. It's a winter shutdown, um, so we will not be holding a uh, commission meeting at that time. Um, and just a reminder that we'll be here on Mondays, not Tuesdays. It may take a while for me to get up to speed. Um, I'm always here, so I'll just have to remember which room to go into. And um, have a happy holiday and new year, and thank you for your time. Thank you, thank you. You got a lot done this year, Gina. A lot thank of you. hard things. Thank you, team. <laughs> okay, with that, we'll go ahead and adjourn the meeting at uh, 8.40 p.m.